again, everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last, right along ringside and ready to go for what has become the biggest thing to hit the holiday season since the Christmas creature himself. Yes, true believers, the juice to the gills, macho Merry Christmas edition of the KFR <laughs> podcast. Our what? Dude, KFR's annual macho Merry Christmas edition. That's that's what I thought you said. What what the hell is that? Bowden? Okay, all right. Think of it as a young dreamer, American dreamer, if you will. Virgil Runnels digging ditches with T.C. Lee under the hot Texas sun. Or we spark Thomas Richardson hauling a huge drainage pipe and to install on Jerry Jarrett's lavish Monster Heel Field estate. Or fading legend Bill Mascaris on his hands and knees digging through garbage and debris on the Mid-South Coliseum floor toward the dressing room after Jackie Fargo Will you overturned stop? the stretch. Will you stop? What's all of that got to do with the holidays and what's with all these digging references to our so-called what what did you call it merry macho crispy show yes exactly and my point is you gotta start somewhere yes you do before the cream rises to the top oh yeah doing the thing okay now i kind of see where you're going dig it oh i dig it yes uh but that's right scott today on our so-called merry macho crispy show we'll be taking a look back at december 5th 1983, when Christmas came early for Memphis fans that year, with the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, making their debut at the Mid-South Coliseum for a showdown with the Fabulous Ones. But the real draw that night, at least for me, who had been watching this outlaw promotion on WPTY Channel 4 for years, and their top star belittling my sports hero, Jerry the King Lawler, by referring to him as the Queen. That's right. I'm talking about the macho man himself, the guy who would eventually go on to World Wrestling Federation fame. Baby, remember his name. The macho man, Randy Savage. Dig it. See, that's 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 the uh, merry macho Christmas spirit there, Brian. And jingling all the way with us on this holiday extravaganza will be two special guests, one of whom will be joining us for yet another round of stinking rednecks with holiday sprinkles of anatomy of an angle on top who will discuss with me not only the Macho Man's Memphis run, but also Savage's initial bouts in the former Federation, which he saw live as a Boston-area fan and the WWF's infamous swole era in the mid-'80s. Brian, tell the folks what else we've got lined up for our expiration of time made of it today. But, but, okay. Okay. You know what, is it? Is that, really? Is it? Is that necessary? Come on! I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Returning to the show. You, you, you know what? You know what? You're, you're getting me out of the Merry Macho Christmas spirit. Well, listen, returning to the show today here on the show will be one of the ICW founders, a man who looked up to Randy Savage like a big brother and perhaps knew the Macho Man better than his own brother, the one and only hustler, Rip Rogers. Well, as you can see, this show is more loaded than Tommy Rich on the recent Studcast special. So hey! <laughs> Hey, hey, what, what? <laughs> so we better get going if we're going to get it all in. That's what she said. We'll be right back after this macho message. Yeah, message from the Macho Man to Jerry Lawler and his dad. Yeah, I want to tell you something from the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, man. Freaking out in my mind. Jerry Lawler. 
Jerry Lawler's dad is dead. Jerry Lawler's dad is dead, man. He ain't healthy, man. He's in his grave somewhere turning over and over and over and over. Yeah, you know why, Jerry Lawler, your dad is turning over in his grave? Because you come to the well twice. And you left empty-handed, yeah. Last time in a steel cage, yeah. You went against the macho man, Randy Savage, yeah. And that mean means something all over the world, yeah. It does, yeah. And Jerry Lawler, your dad, man, he is really embarrassed about it, man, yeah. Because what you've done is you've gone past your due retirement, yeah. You should have retired before you faced the number one world's greatest athlete in the world today, yeah, me. Yeah, me, Jerry Lawler, yeah. And now you're talking about coming to the well for the third time, man. Well, you're crying and you're crying and you're crying, man. Man, don't you have no pride? Don't you have no pride, Jerry Lawler? Think of your dad, man, being dead. Yeah, think of your dad being dead, Jerry Lawler. And you're coming after the macho man for the third time. Yeah, what do you think he thinks right now? You and Austin Idol against the macho man, Randy Savage, and a partner. Why don't you tell your dad the truth? Why don't you tell your dad that I went to Eddie Marlin and tried to get a handicap match? Yeah, Austin Idol and Jerry Lawler versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, for the third and final embarrassment. But no, Eddie Marlin, man, he's backing you 100%, man. He don't want to see you just sit down and cry in the Mid-South Coliseum, yeah, in front of thousands and thousands of people. So I'm going to tell my partner something, man. I'm going to tell him to hold the rope, yeah. So it ain't going to be no handicap match, but the macho man's going to start. And Austin Idol, man, I'm just going to slap your face, yeah. Because the legend did it, and that's going to be my autograph to you. But I'm going to put Lawler down for the third time and show the Mid-South Coliseum and everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, and all around the world that the macho man is number one. Yeah, but also I want to show somebody else something. Up there somewhere, Jerry Lawler's dad, if you're watching down on me right now, you're seeing me signing the night. Yeah, signing the night, Jerry Lawler. Signing in the night. Dig it? Uncouth, goofy son of a gun. That's Randy Savage. Welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to look at a December to remember. December 5th, 1983, to be exact. Two dream matches in one night. One that was put together at the last minute, uh, from my understanding. Um, a showdown between Jerry the Queen Lawler as his antagonist berated him and called him and basically and it showed up on his, on his front lawn. Uh, with a camera crew from a outlaw organization challenging him to a fight, Randy Macho Man Savage. This match finally came together. Uh, ICW had uh, disbanded earlier in the year. Uh, a lot of guys like Ron Garvin, uh, Bob Arnton Jr., Pez Watley, all these all these great workers who really were the backbone of the organization were able to latch on and and kind of. Uh, be accepted uh, back into the wrestling fraternity. Uh, World Championship Wrestling, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, was struggling at that point. Uh, I believe uh, Pez and Ronnie Garvin both wound up there. Uh, but Randy Savage and and Poffo uh, and uh, Landy Poffo and his uh, uh, father Angelo, they had a little bit tougher 
uh, going because they were the ones who really started this outlaw promotion uh, along with uh, founder Rip Rogers. And these guys, I mean, they were true outlaws in every sense of the word. And, you know, Ron Garvin had a lot of heat, too. Uh, Ron and Bob Roop, you know, uh, felt like that they... Uh, we're being cheated uh, out of a lot of money. There's uh, some box office discrepancies. We've had Izzy Slapowitz on the podcast before, and he's kind of broken that down for us, as well as Rip Rogers about how all that started. And Ronnie Garvin actually left with the NWA Southeastern Heavyweight Championship, and it was suddenly the ICW United States Championship. And I, uh, even though Randy Savage had been wrestling uh, in the state of Tennessee, for a couple of years for promoter Nick Goulis. I had never seen him until he came bursting through my living room with the most outrageous opening to a wrestling show ever conceived, set to the theme from Midnight Express. Uh, it, just, it had like two or three fireballs. You got Savage dropping elbows from the top of a cage on poor little Wee Willie. Uh, you know, uh, Ronnie Garvin attacking Andre the Giant with a chair. There's a couple of bear matches. There's a mud pit match with women. It's a far cry from the classy, subtle opening uh, of Memphis wrestling with uh, the the famous statue swirling as the theme from 2001 plays. It was uh, it was incredible. And they had very Memphis-like angles, and I I was hooked on it. Uh, it's surprising to me. I, I've heard Jim Cornette speak about ICW, and it just for whatever reason it didn't it didn't really do it for him. Um, and I'm not sure how many other Memphians uh, were into it. They certainly did not support the the live shows at the Cook Convention Center. Uh, but man, it came on right before Channel Five Wrestling, so. I was definitely watching, and Jarrett, Lawler, and the boys were certainly watching. And Lawler told me that uh, when I asked him about Savage appearing in the front yard, he goes, "Yeah, well, he knew on Tuesday I was I, I was driving to Louisville, so he was there with the camera crew, knew, knowing that I wasn't going to come out." Which, even if Lawler had been home, I don't think he would have come out. And Savage is pounding on the door, "Come on, Queen, come out and fight me!" Oh yeah, you're scared, yeah. And this had been going on for about four years. And so finally, with no place to go, uh, Savage calls Jarrett. And uh, Jarrett says, you know, absolutely, I, I want you to come work for me. And actually, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember now. It may have even been Jarrett who reached out. I think Randy had, had uh, passed the word that he wanted to talk. And then Jarrett called him. Uh, I believe that's what happened. And... They needed to, and this this came together quickly. I think it happened on a Thursday. They were going with a main event uh, of the Road Warriors making their Memphis debut. And the Road Warriors, you have to understand, it was uh, the lone bright spot on Georgia Championship Wrestling at that point. Uh, even though they were two muscle heads who were basically protected by really short matches with the likes of the Briscoes and Mr. Wrestling 1 and 2, they were put over like crazy. It was almost like uh, the Goldberg push. Uh, and But these guys were, were much better promos. They had the look, the intensity. Nobody had really done the Mohawks and the, and the makeup like these guys. And they just came off like, true badasses and the real deal. They were all over the magazines. So when they debuted against the fabulous ones, that was a main event worthy match. And the week before, uh, Jarrett had just taken control back of the book from Lawler. And, and it's so easy to tell because 
the two <laughs> the weeks leading up to uh to this event if we look back in November of 1983 you have uh the main, these are the, <laughs> these are the main events all of which drew in the well below 4000 fans which is terrible for Memphis especially when you can consider all the talent uh, on the undercard, uh, Andy Kaufman and Jimmy Hart against Jerry Lawler in a handicap match. Uh, Lawler and Kaufman in a wrestling versus boxing match, which really at that point, that was Andy's last appearance. Uh, and I think it drew just over 3,000 fans. So clearly the fans were tired of that angle and it really kind of caught on that it was just part of the show. The reason why that feud clicked earlier in the year was because there was a sense of danger because you really believed and even Paul Bosch believed in Houston uh, that it was, that it was actually uh, the real thing. And that Lawler was teaching this outsider uh, a lesson that you don't mess with professional wrestlers, but clearly the focus was shifted back to wrestling and specifically the world heavyweight championship, which is what got Lawler over so big back in 74 when Jarrett created the quest for the title. Now, this one was not as detailed uh, as Jarrett's original program. Uh, it seemed to be rather abrupt. They had some dates on Bachwinkle in January, and so they were trying to rush through uh, maybe a, a modified list of, of top 10 AWA contenders. And Lawler came out. I love it. Lawler occasionally would come out with the wrestling magazines. <laughs> And he would and he would actually read like the thing, you know, these uh ratings are put together with input from various promoters across the country, and they are deemed to be official, blah, 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 blah. And and as a fan growing up, that was one of the first things that I checked out in the wrestler and inside wrestling. And uh and Lawler even took the magazines in one of his few appearances on TBS in 1982 when he was a heel. He brought out the magazines and he was showing Gordon Soley. He's like, look. I'm number six and the most popular wrestlers in the world, but I come to Atlanta and you guys boo me. And that was sort of done to cover Lawler's tracks uh, that, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a great guy. I'm popular everywhere. I'm popular in Memphis, but you Atlanta fans, you just, you just don't get it. You don't understand. But uh, anyway, so uh, they switch, they quickly switch gears, go away from the comedy with Lawler and Kaufman and Hart. And back to Lawler chasing the championship. Uh, he knocks off Ken Patera. Uh, the house goes up a little bit to, I believe, uh, about 5,000 fans. Uh, the next week, I believe the plan was to bring in Jesse Ventura. And that was to be the co-main event uh, with the Fabs and the Road Warriors on top. Uh, and, then and then the Savage Jarrett phone call came to be. Lawler reluctantly, because you have to understand, Savage was lived his gimmick twenty four seven, and I think you know at, at one point uh, I've had uh, Lance Russell, Shane Russell, several of the boys admit to me we were all packing heat back in those days because we ne we thought the ICW guys were going to try to run us off the road. Uh, there, there are different versions floating around of the Dundee uh, Savage. Uh, incident uh, and Rip Rogers set the record straight on the show that it actually occurred in the gym and it all started over a pair of trunks that a fan had made for Dundee with the words macho man emblazoned across the ass. Uh, boy, leave it, leave it to an arena rat just to, just to stir up some trouble there. Uh, and I have to say that, that uh, 
it, it, getting the timing of this, I believe it it hurt the Lawler Savage program in Memphis. Uh now, this initial picture, and this is one of those cards, I absolutely had to be there. I picked up the phone. I was like, Uncle Robert, I always get, a, get to go to the wrestling matches on, uh, you know, as part of my Christmas present. I know it's December 5th. I'm calling it in early, but this is the one I want. He goes, are you sure? Because, you know, this is it. This, this is the December show that you're going to. And I said, yeah, this is the one. Because uh, there's no way I was going to miss the Road Warriors' first appearance in Memphis and Randy Savage going against Lawler, which to me was certainly uh, a dream match. And here to discuss that with me today, as part of our stinking redneck segment, dashed with a little bit, sprinkled with a little anatomy of an angle, is my good friend. You may know him as the star of such Hollywood productions as The Concessionaires Must Die, Anger Management. What else have you been on? (laughs) I was on the middle. In the middle. Yeah. Criminal Minds. I don't know. Criminal Minds, yes. Yeah. Several shows. Yes. I know him as Juicy Johnny and the Boston <laughs> Battler. No one knows me as that. <laughs> K-Fade. K-Fade. And the Boston Battler 2 Electric Boogaloo, John <laughs> Keating. John, welcome to KFR. Thanks for having me. <laughs> a, a certain sense of irony to have a uh, a well-groomed, uh, nice smelling Yankee yep. on stinking rednecks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Why? What is the stinking rednecks? What is the, the, uh, <laughs> why am I on that? Why am I on the stinking rednecks? Well, it, you, she, now you didn't grow up a traditional fan of Memphis, but, uh, no, you, only through the magazines, only through the magazines. And then eventually, yeah. Uh, now you weren't necessarily a tape trader. You were more like when uh, the internet made it easy to share matches. That's when you got uh, to be you got heavily involved in, in Memphis. I, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had no idea about the whole tape trading thing or anything until pretty much maybe like two thousand and four. Um, and I saw uh, someone pointed me to a, a, a message board that where people were talking about that stuff. And oh, I have footage. If you know, if any, if anybody has this footage, I'm looking for this and this show. And and then I then I, I so I got involved with it there. And then I got to see all of this stuff that I had only read about in the magazines as as a kid and growing up. It was it was amazing that there was so much stuff out there that I had never seen before that I'd only read about. I mean, you know, when, when you're a kid growing up in Boston and not even Boston, but like sub suburb, <laughs> suburban Boston, you know, um, it's you know, you're reading about all these exotic places like Memphis, like Ooh. Portland, Oregon, yeah. you know, that I've never been to, but that all this, like it was, it was so cool knowing that there was wrestling taking place all over the country and all over the world at that point. I don't know if I became a fan now, if I would have been as big a fan as I am, because there was something about that and not just like, not just independent wrestling, which is great, but it was like major league with TV and, 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 you know, playing major stadiums and stuff and arenas, uh, wrestling that you would read about in the magazines and you'd get excited when people would come to your area. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like you and I had very much the same experience. Yeah. Uh, because to, to me that made the magazines, you know, even though a lot of times, 
uh, Memphis would not be featured. And and prior to Lawler, from what I understand, Goulas did not cooperate, did not encourage it. None of the guys seek that Lawler was the the first one to really seek the publicity because he was such a oh man, just such a self promoter. I, sure. I I still laugh about that NWA. Oh, the title. Uh, title. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's that's some balls there. Yeah. It's, it's it's some good some good luck and some timing, yeah. but just uh, <laughs> what a what a what a shell game. He's uh, a hustler, though. He, you he, know, he's gonna hustle. He's he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it done. You know. <laughs> yep. Yep. And one way or another, that world, yeah. that end to be a world heavyweight title belt was going to go around his waist. Totally. <laughs> he held he held it. For, well, you know, he only held it really for uh, uh, a short a, a short shorter time than Tommy Rich, but not by much. Not by much. <laughs> <laughs> Another, yeah. Well, it's funny because I I think Memphis started really getting play in those magazines probably like the mid eighties, maybe. Uh, I, I just rem- I remember reading about the the Austin Idol uh, the hair feud and 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 they're they're rupturing testicles and I don't know what's yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what yeah. is happening is, what is happening there in Memphis this is crazy which is which is uh, one of those things too where it's like you know you're eating your cereal <laughs> and you know my mom you know when my mom was in the room and she, she's like ruptured testicle <laughs> my, my mom always just seemed to be in the room at the at the absolute she was worst, always at the worst point. at the worst possible points uh when when uh you know handsome jimmy cut son of a gypsy and they did this really so far ahead of its time music video that was just amazing with him stepping out of the limo and the white tuxedo with no shirt and singing singing that song man that was uh that was just stated there it was about to probably shoot him into another level has a has a baby face and what are the, what happens on the very same show, show. a dirty meal and Lala calls him a fag not once but twice oh. just to just to drive just to drive that point home and uh, I remember mom my mom crinkling over her uh, commercial appeal newspaper and looking at me just shaking her head like oh. yeah I'm like oh he's he's the good guy yeah yeah, yeah. Well, Lawler also had that that memorable baby face promo where he yeah. threatened to wet Kamala's lips. Yes, stick him to the nearest. Well, he that same uh, R T Tyler, who who I think was became the Dream Machine, right? Uh, I believe when he was wrestling in Southeastern, yeah, yeah early eighties, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he got his head shaved by Dutch Mantel. He cut a similar promo on 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 uh, Sugar Bear Harris. Uh, that it was almost the same promo that that uh, Lawler cut on on Kamala Oof. that time. Yeah, yeah, same same wrestler, same recipient of it, and both baby faces were the ones cutting it. It was just like ooh. And I, <laughs> I remember, and I remember too. My my uh, my aunt was staying with us, and and uh, she was up from from uh, California, and she she had seen some some local wrestling, but she was looking at it and she was seeing Lawler like through the fire. And she's like, Oh my gosh, because this is just outrageous. And it's because that man, he must be the most hated man in the city. I go, no, that's the, he's the most pop. He's my hero. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was really weird as uh, coming from, uh, you know, my perspective, because uh, growing up I had, you know, obviously WWF was there and we would get uh, world-class on uh on channel 25 it, uh, boston was one of the places it syndicated to so we got i got to see all the, the von erics versus Freebirds feud and all that stuff and the, and the dynamic duo and all that um but as far as uh like nwa uh wcw i had to go over my grandparents house that we didn't have tbs on our cable package and so i had to go over there and i would go over there on saturday nights and watch 
watch uh, the NWA wrestling man, man, on it, that. It's this is so freaky. We we have we, we seriously had the identical experience pretty so, much. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we <laughs> we had the Cablevision guy come out. And, you know, back then, you know, they had to put up the big, uh, the big, you know, the, the satellite, uh, either in your front yard, like this, uh, that was really almost <laughs> the size of a UFO. Right. Yeah. Or, literally. Yeah. Or they, you know, this put this, oh, this monstrosity of a, of a mini dish, but it was like, you know, but it was, uh, it was much larger than, than the dishes today. Yeah. And mini it, dish. yeah, 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 it was very, very <laughs> and it was, and, and it would be adjusted by these awkward legs. It almost looked like, uh, what was that movie with Ali Sheedy? Uh, with the robot. The Breakfast Club? No! <laughs> short Circuit. Oh, Short Circuit. <laughs> yeah, which was sort of, yeah. That's, that's when Ali Johnny Five. Yeah, that's when her career started kind of going down. <laughs> Although I did see Short Circuit 2. Oh, was had that to, an electric boogaloo as I, well? I had to know what happened next. <laughs> I don't. I feel like that was a story that was told. The yeah, first one. yeah. I don't know if that really needed a sequel. I feel like that. I got it. I got yeah. that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, and I, I felt I, satisfied. Yeah, Weekend at Bernie's too. I... <laughs> even deader. Yeah. Even deader this time. How does that happen? Yeah, it just melts. I don't know. I don't know. Um. But yeah, but so uh, I would, I would, uh, we, oh, but anyway, so they, they, they go to all this trouble. They, they set this thing up. All my friends are getting, are getting cable. I'm like, I'm finally going to get to see Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. And there's a huge tree <laughs> that's blocking the reason. I'm not even kidding you. And so, yeah, we, we didn't get it. We were like the only, like the only, I was like the only kid on the block who couldn't get it. And, oh. but when we finally, because of a tree? Yes. <laughs> That's that the, is amazing. Yes, I know. It's like out of a Spielberg movie. Every other channel, perfect except for the one you want. Yes, just yes. Of the tree. Oh, it's great. But uh, you know, uh, but we did occasionally, and this was the beauty back in those days too. Uh, we would get the Jackson Tennessee show that showed uh, the Coliseum matches. Oh, okay. That showed all the Mid South matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of times, yeah, you know, it was it was almost like poltergeist, really. You know, sort of coming in and out. Uh, thankfully, nothing reached in and grabbed me. Right. But uh, but sometimes you could only get the sound. But that was enough for me. So I'd sit oh, there. Sure. I'd sit there in front of the yeah. television. <laughs> Well, I think that's one thing people don't realize, like back in the day of like UHF channels, Mm -hmm. that you could every once in a while, like a channel would just show wrestling, you know, from a different area for for like five weeks and then it would just disappear. Like we would get we got Mid-South for like about a month or two Uh, and then it just stopped showing. Yeah. You know, or we get like there'd be a block, a block of wrestling shows and we got Memphis for a little while in like 93 and it was and then it just then they just stopped showing it. Yeah, we we got we got Portland wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah right. I, mean, what, I mean, why? What? What? So in, far what in, reach of Portland wrestling all and, the way to but the uh, and no one, no one I talked to remembers that. But I absolutely, I and and the reason why I remember it because it was the first time I saw Kurt Hennig, uh, and they had like a, a Memphis gimmick match. I believe it was with Rip Oliver, uh, the coal miners glove on a pole match. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a big match there. Yeah, because Dutch Savage—that was like his gimmick. Yeah. So that that uh, that uh, yeah. So that that definitely made it. But it, then it was gone, and something was cooking too between Crockett and Jarrett because we got Mid Atlantic and uh, World Class. Uh, I think we got World Class first, which was just 
you know, uh, yeah, because that was syndicated to all like the Christian yeah. channels, right? This Christian network. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it, like, I, it was part of like ICW came on Channel Twenty Four, which oh, again, okay, which yeah. again was one of those channels that just showed up one day. I came home, right? Yeah, we came from we came home from school, and I'm sitting, you know, and I remember this just so vividly uh, with my sister. You know, we were latchkey kids. And if I wasn't playing the sport, you know, we were, we would just, you know, can't, especially my dad, my dad was a firefighter. Uh, so if he were working and my mom would not get off till like five or six and, uh, she would always bring home like, you know, Captain D's or her pizza hut. And all. Uh, I wonder I was a chubby little guy for, for a while. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, so we had the television baby, uh, basically to babysit yeah. us. And I remember turning the channel and like, eh, same old thing and leave it to beaver or whatever. And then I clicked, and the, and I'm not even kidding you. It was the beginning of a Batman episode from '66. Oh, nice! And I was just absolutely floored. And then right after that, the '66 uh, Spider-Man cartoon. And so, wow. so yeah, so all, so this whole week, you know, I'm seeing all these great shows for the first time. My dad had been a big fan of the Batman show uh, when when he was younger. Uh, he had not seen it in ages. And then on Saturday morning, man, here comes ICW. And I was just blown away immediately by Randy Savage. Uh, do you, uh, when's, when was the first time you were aware of Savage? Uh, and how quickly, you know, before you knew what a good worker was, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure you were able to tell, okay, these guys have really good matches every night. Yeah, I mean, when I fr I fr saw, I was at the Boston Garden. Uh, I was looking up the date of it. It was uh, June twenty second, uh, nineteen eighty five. It was the very first time I had ever gone to a live wrestling event. My parents got tickets. They were. I was all excited. I was nervous for a, like weeks beforehand that Hulk Hogan was going to lose the title and I was going to be there to see it for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was like literally sick to my stomach over it. Um, oh. And. Uh, <laughs> And the, yeah, well, you know, I was I had a lot of anxiety issues. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but that, I'm, but, I'm better now. I'm better with, now. But with a lot of but with a lot of therapy, uh, a lot of therapy yeah, and good yeah, medication. Yeah. Um, so I, but that was Randy Savage's and Lenny Poffo's, and apparently looking at this, the Missing Links uh, debuts in Boston, and so I saw Randy Savage on the very first. Uh, show I had ever gone to wow. and he just lit the place up just coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he wrestled SD Jones yeah. and it was, you know, it was just basically just a regular house show preliminary match, but it was, but you could see he had the robes and he just, he just had that charisma, even like, you know, in the, the, the balcony where I was sitting, you could see, you, you just, he just lit the whole place up. Kind of, kind of like when Emil Mascaras made his, I've heard, yes, I heard that, yeah, yeah, I heard it was very similar uh, to a person next to me actually leaned over and said, you know, this is just like when no mascara wrote the stretcher in Memphis Coliseum in 1979, and I said, I don't know who that is and why are you talking to me? But... Why is that significant? <laughs> why is that significant? And, and then lo and behold, you know, a hundred years later, here I am. Uh, um, so, so, but... so in other words, it really was a... Uh, if you will, a special delivery. It was a special <laughs> delivery. Yes, yes, it was. It was. A, it was a special delivery to my heart and in my imagination. Yes. Um. But yeah. So. So I. 
and then like after that, he he I think he started uh, showing up. I think they may have shown that match on like primetime wrestling or whatever. But you'd see those the the matches where he was kind of uh, you just they're just basically you know squash matches for all intents and purposes. But it was getting him over. It was getting over the robe, the the elbow drop, the the hand, flying axe handle off the top rope to the floor, which you'd never really seen anything like that at that time. You know that's that's one thing I I, I was I was. I, I wanted to really point out uh, again. It's all it's all psychology uh, yeah. because you know the, the, that that leap from the top. You know, today's fans that I don't even know if that would get a reaction. You know, after seeing the Hardy Boys uh, do yeah. all these, cra- you know, all, all this crazy, really unnecessary stuff as part of those ladder matches. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I I got caught up in it and and I loved it. But I just I, I remember watching uh, the uh, Monday Night Raw after one of the WrestleManias where they just you know had this incredible ladder match. I didn't I didn't I couldn't fathom how any of those guys were walking, and they put them in another match. That oh, night. I hate when they do that. And yeah. I, I just went, man, what, how are you know? How, there's no way they can be doing this without pain medication. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at the very least, and and it just. And even if they are okay, even if they they are, you know, they just have minimal, you know, the, the minimal bumps and bruises or and, and aches, it, it just sell the match. Yeah. So you know, just to keep them off, keep them out of the ring for a little while, just to sell the match and the brutality of it. Yeah, and and you know, Cornette made a point about uh, Dynamite Kid. Uh, this, you know, while he respected and and loved his matches, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Yes. And uh, with with Savage, the the move was spectacular enough because you you know guys just didn't do that. They didn't come right. off the top to the world. But he always uh, took care of himself and his opponent. And it it looked vicious. Like yes. it didn't yeah. it didn't look it wasn't show it was showy obviously because he's jumping off the top rope to the floor. But it it wasn't showy in in a way of hey look at me. It's like I am going to hurt this guy so badly. I'm going to do this move to him. You know, yeah. like he got up on the rope and and he just he just jumped on the guy axe handle, and it looked it looked like he was trying to really hurt his opponent where I, I read there was an interview with Ricky steamboat, I think, and I forget what magazine it was in, um, where he was talking about dives and he said, the psychology of the dive shouldn't be that you throw the, you throw your opponent out. If you're the baby face, you throw the opponent out and then you just do a fancy move to hit him with. He goes, the psychology should be more that the heel tries to escape and you dive out to get him. Right, which is a it's a subtle difference, but it makes a it, it makes a big deal. It it, ma- it makes a big difference in in how you view that, how you view that move. It doesn't become just a hey, look at me move. It becomes I can't wait to get my hands on this guy so badly. He's trying to avoid me. I'm gonna I'm jumping over the top rope to get him. Well, I think and I think that's one of those things too that back back in the day, uh, if you had an old timer or, or uh, a veteran wrestler. Uh, or even just a main event player, you know, watching a young guy's match and he did something like that, he would be pulled aside. And that would be one of those nuggets of psychology that would be passed down. If not backstage, then during the car ride. Yes. To, the, you know, to the next town, which is where yeah. a lot of the real education oh. uh, came from. Well, I, you know, I was a stand-up comic for 15 years, and it's a similar lifestyle where you're driving to gigs. A lot of times you're getting uh, a booking because you're easy to be in a car for four hours with. 
you know, and you'll drive the headliner, you know, and they'll throw you 50 bucks or whatever. And, and you drive and pick up the headliner and you drive up, you know, I was coming from Boston. We drive up like way up into Maine and do a one nighter gig. And you learn so much on those car rides because he'll pick apart your set. And this is, Oh, this was good when you did this, but this was stupid. And why'd you do this? And, Oh, you know what? You could tag this joke with that. And, and, and I'm sure wrestling is the same exact way. And I think the, the, the plane rides and and uh, where where you have the national territories where you don't have the local car rides, I think you probably do lose a lot of that. Yeah, because I mean those car rides, uh, sure. seven hours, you know, to to Louisville. I, I drove. I, I was so excited. I drove <laughs> drove with Lawler to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and and it and it started snowing on the way there. And I think it, I believe I'm almost positive it was one of my. I think it was my first appearance uh in louisville or, one, or maybe my second one and man i loved going there because it was a smaller arena and even though the crowds were not what they once were we didn't have any sellouts but it was about half full and and we had heat there and and in memphis it, it really got to that point where you know maybe we were drawing 12 1200 fans and if the undertaker and sid vicious were there then maybe or bret hart would yeah. drop it then maybe it would be up to about three thousand. uh but you know, it was a little, and it was a little sad for me as a kid going to those matches and and just seeing the crowd be into everything, you know, being into a suplex, being into the opening match, and you know, the, a lot of times the opening match would go to a draw, but there would be the fans would get into it the last couple of minutes as all these guys were doing false finishes and and all this kind of stuff, yeah, and just uh, how everybody was just a a, a pro up and down the card. Yeah, well, you know, that's a lost art, too, is I think is the opening match. Yes. And and using it to establish like the tone of the show that, hey, this is a wrestling show and this is the, these are the rules because, you know, the, there's that old saying about it, it's every every show is somebody's first show. You know, they, they use that a lot in TV. They use that a lot in comic books uh, in wrestling. I would think the same way. Every 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 event is someone's first someone there is seeing it for the first time. Right. Uh, you know, and you're establishing that the tone of the show and and that these are the rules and, and, and you're keeping it in the ring. And it gives you a contrast for when stuff does go get wilder later on in the show that you have something to contrast it with. You know, I, I think that's a lost art of of um, not everything has to steal the show, because yeah. if everything's trying to steal the show, then everything is on that that same high level. Well, there's there's a gentleman that has very strong feelings about that, uh, Rip Rogers, who's also oh. going to be appearing on the show today, who who is who is literally uh, written the book on professional wrestling. A lot a lot of people claim to have, you know, I wrote the book on wrestling. Yes, that's, that's the title of that's the title of his book. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> the book the book on pro wrestling. Uh, but Rip is one of those guys I could talk to for 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 ages, uh, even with the curse words that even make me cringe occasionally. And then I find myself doing it. (laughs) You know, I I don't, you know, you know me, you've been around me. I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't curse a lot. No, you're not. You don't really curse that much. I do. I usually probably do way more. That's the Boston upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a little bit of a heathen. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a heathen. Yeah. You just drop those F bombs. Like they're like giving out candy. Uh, my wife, God, Haley does that. My wife, my wife, you know, well, she's English. F- fucking, yeah, f- <laughs> fucking's one of her fa- favorite. Oh, yeah, f- yeah, f- favorite adjectives. Can't be asked. Oh, yeah, yeah, Can't be asked. that's my favorite. Yeah, she does. yeah, she could, yeah, Haley, uh, 
Oh gosh, she's gonna kill me. I'm I'm like whispering now. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's in the next room. Uh, but you know, if if I say that I'm going to do something, like cook dinner, clean the house, or whatever, it occasionally <laughs> happens. Uh, it's it better be done <laughs> if I say I'm gonna do it. Not that I'm scared ever, because as we all know. I own a pinfall victory over a WWE Hall of Famer by the name of Jacqueline Moore. So I can. I heard that. I heard that somewhere. Yeah. I, 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 I may have had my feet on the ropes for leverage, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I outsmarted her. So, <laughs> anyway. Cunning. It was yeah, cunning. It was very cutting. Very. Yeah. <laughs> it was crafty. crafty. <laughs> you were a wily, wily uh, heel. Yeah, something like Whenever that. Whenever they called someone a wily veteran, <laughs> you knew that person was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that was uh yeah, Gypsy Joe got that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he was wild. Although that guy was terrifying. He looked he was he was scary. But he was almost like he was almost like wrestling's Wally Wally Coyote. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz he would you know have strong off it but it couldn't quite beat the top guys anymore in Memphis. But hell, I, I think at that point he was like 70. Yeah, he, he just looked tough. Like, he just looked like a tough guy. I mean, he's been dead for five years. He's still taking bookings. <laughs> well, he's finishing out his commitments. Okay, good night, everyone. That was, uh, <laughs> my guest, John Keating. I'm going hey. to end on a strong note. So, well, let's get back to Randy Savage yeah. because by the time you first saw him live, it's interesting because you see him live. Uh, Right after I just saw Lawler kick his ass and run him out of town. Yeah. And one of the better uh, and different Lawler matches. Uh, it's a very, there's only one of the loser leave town one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Savage insisted on doing the honors and doing it the old school way, uh, working his full two weeks out. Vince wanted him to leave immediately. Uh, you know, he was the Southern heavyweight champion and they had been building yeah. this thing. Uh, Tom Ernesto had, had taken the book and really, I think intensity wise, uh, and, and as far as real genuine heat goes, th- that 85 feud, uh, and maybe it was because Memphis had, had dipped a little bit, but that was a much needed, uh, chair shot to the arm, so to speak, when Savage turned heel with Tux Newman and oh, and, after, and Jimmy Suzuki when he yeah uh, yeah they, the photographer yeah. yeah and they did you know they did a very rare yeah. injury angle with Lawler where he was out for about three weeks and they brought Bockwinkel in and he and you know he pinned Bockwinkel right in the middle of the ring and then shortly thereafter Savage started billing himself as the Southern Heavyweight Champion of the World <laughs> <laughs> given that he had just beaten a world class athlete like Nick Bockwinkel which I just thought was amazing uh, yeah. but. Uh, Getting back to to the night in question, uh, December fifth, nineteen eighty three, uh, the fact that they were Jarrett was sort of backed into corner because they definitely needed to shake things up. I think that's why the Road Warriors were brought in uh, to begin with. To to even though you know you knew there was no possible way there was going to be a conclusive finish to that match, and uh, and this was the Road Warriors debut in Memphis. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, for some reason, I thought they debuted against Lawler and Idol. Nope. That would that came later. That came later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And because I had one of these matches, it might have been this one. Um, probably not because it doesn't seem to be anything from this this show on tape. 
uh, anywhere. Um, Which is a but, shame, really. Yeah, re- it really is. I looked, I looked, even the TV leading up to it, there's nothing that exists. All the, the TV kind of stops in, in no, uh, late November, uh, maybe like mid-November, really. And then it, then there's a couple of like, uh, you know, Mid-South Coliseum stuff's around. But but for some reason, this this stuff in, in Savage's initial debut, it doesn't seem to exist anywhere on uh, on tape. Um, but uh, I had that, that the first uh, wrestling VA VHS tape, the the superstars and superbouts, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, oh, Lord of the Rings, uh, yes, and, yes, and that had that had the Lawler Dundee Loser Leave Town match on it, uh, clipped, and it had and, and it also had one of the fabulous ones in Road Warriors matches, which which I was just like in awe of. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm trying to remember if. That, I don't think I think that was the second match they had. It might have been the second one. Were yeah, they, were, like I said, were, I don't were think they were, finished. Were they wearing red tights and trunks? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> that I don't remember. But I, I I do remember Paul Ellering had a shirt that said "Who can beat us?" You're right. <laughs> which is because Lance references it, which is really a rhetorical. Yeah. Question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he. No, no, no. Asked. I think it was. I don't think he was actually taking a survey. Yeah. I think he just, I think it was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, I th- and I think it was who's 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 gonna beat us? Who's gonna beat us? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you got to deliver that correctly. It's like, <laughs> sorry. Here I'm, here I'm giving yeah. you. Directions. You're giving me gold, and yeah. I'm just dropping it all over the place. I apologize. <laughs> who's gonna <laughs> gonna beat? Us? Who's 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 gonna beat us? <laughs> as long as long as Paul Ellering's not doing a Pac-Man Fever promo like he did in this. Oh, or the or the or the Mister Bill. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah. you know hey it was something different and, oh, kudos, was different. and, and kudos to Jarrett for seriously i say what you know say what say what you want about the guy everyone's got a different opinion i i i have enjoyed talking to him uh you know sort of been working on a project together and uh, i'm not entirely sure if he's always shooting straight with me uh or if he's Pulling a little Mark Twain, pulling you know, it's it almost feels he like definitely he definitely has that Mark Twain. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe he's laying a little of that country jive on me. I don't yeah. know. You uh, laying that country jive on me? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and maybe he's doing. You know, maybe maybe that's the case with the Mill Mascaris thing. I, I I don't I don't really know. But I, but I don't I, think he I don't think he would do that with something that important. Well, I don't know though, because listen to this. I mean, listen Bill Mascaris. I, ha- I have to say this, and I, and I told I told I mentioned this to Brian last. Uh, <laughs> off. Uh, I often say that if people could hear the forty minutes or so that Brian and I talk, but you know, before we actually start <laughs> taping the podcast, we we probably be the number one rated podcast <laughs> instead of those two goofballs. Uh, but uh, you know, who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. 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 They sh- who shall not be named. Uh, but it's just really funny stuff, and it. Uh, uh, I ha- I told him that. Through some miscommunication and with me having to work when uh, I got to Memphis the night before uh, I was scheduled to go on the Coliseum tour, I had to take a later tour than, than Jarrett did. And so has they're, they're guiding us up uh, this catwalk to where Lawler was lowered uh, from the ceiling of the Coliseum by this old man operating a pulley, uh, which is just <laughs> absolutely insane. Um yeah. The guy looks at me and he goes, "Oh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you know, we had Jerry Jarrett here on the uh, the, the the tour previous." And I said, "Yes." He goes, uh, "Yeah." He said he was also lowered for for a, for a main event, and I went, "Um," <laughs> I said, "Wait a minute, wait, wait." 
did he say did he say it was a scaffold match because that well that was in Louisville guard he goes no 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 he he said that that he he had done the the and i went huh, <laughs> <laughs> huh. And then I, I said that to brian and brian i think brian said something like like it's dude he's totally lying about mill maskers <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are. They do say, I, I and I would think I would think Jerry Jarrett would be one of these people of like kind of save your lies for when you need them, um, where he has so where he's so detailed <laughs> with all the other stuff around it that that one I think he might be pulling your leg on. But but I hope he never find out because it is my favorite storyline. Well, you know, in professional wrestling. Honestly, honestly, I I thought when I came back from that personal appearance, even though I was yeah. I was very aware that he was being this. Uh, I can't some, believe you didn't even call me to 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 cut to accompany you dude, to this. This, this was so, so, it was, so you it, could have backup. It was last minute. I mean, <laughs> I had been like keeping an eye out for personal appearances for years, and I just it either just missed one or something. You know, I I, I mean, you even signed up for his Facebook page. You even, yeah. you even posted on that, and, and, and Brian. Brian and I were getting ready to, to record an episode, and then he goes, "Dude, that Millbuskers is in LA, like right now. It's starting like right now." <laughs> and you know, dude, uh, even though a place might be like ten miles away, that could be uh, you know leaving. Oh yeah, yeah leaving, that's, you know, that's had, an afternoon. Oh yeah. man, uh, but uh, but it was totally worth it. And and I left there thinking, okay, this is it. I've got, I've got you know, it's over. And a lot of people are like, we're upset, you know. Oh man, because I announced, I said, I finally, I've, I've solved yeah. the mystery. And and I thought by you know accidentally taping it with, you know, the voice recorder. Yeah, I know that. What luck! What luck that was. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that yeah, hit the record button. Those, those ill-fitting skinny yeah. jeans. Yeah, that's what happens. That's how. That's how LA gets you. Because I never would have. You know, no, no, you wouldn't do that knowingly. I mean, no, that's just that's against the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you probably just turned the wrong way in that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. a, it's like a butt dial, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It happened, <laughs> but it, but it, <laughs> but I thought I was. I had. I thought I had, thought I had concrete evidence, and uh, the, the the recording actually hurt me in the long I think run because <laughs> had, had I come back and said, yeah, he he said it was him, yeah. um, and and dude, the, but see. I, I was only I and 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 his his he hit, dude he had more handlers than Jalen. I was gonna say yeah, so, only you and his henchmen. Yes, or whatever. It was crazy. <laughs> the the emphasis with that check mark. <laughs> I mean, that is pr- yeah. As I and it was explained to me later that in Mexican culture, the check mark, and that that's where you draw the line. Like the, that is my word. Yeah, do you feel about that? Um, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was I was hoping like really when you when when I heard that you you had the story, I was just envisioning you like like he's like at the El Coyote, <laughs> like in a back booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we meet in secret. And it's just like it's dark, you know. It's just the thing, and you and you walk in, uh, Mr. Maskers. Uh, yeah, I, I... <laughs> Mills, come in, my son. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's very clandestine. He's very clandestine. Yes, yes, yes. They all know him there. They, have a scratch, Margarita. Yes, have a scratch. We loosen up a little bit. <laughs> oh man, oh man. But, but t- t- right. he just he, talking in squared circles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, oh yes. Why wouldn't I be there? Why wouldn't I? Yes, I wrestled everywhere. Why wouldn't I? He goes. He goes. Yes, I was there. And I went. Oh, 
You so you were. <laughs> he I never was, actually answered your question. And then, and then, it then, was always the like the follow yeah. up though. When I tried to go deeper, yeah. he, he would kill me. You know, I was like, yeah. so you were there? Yes, yeah, so I, I I wrestled there. I wrestled in Texas. You know, and then and then I go, you I know, you were, tech mummy. and I go, you know, you were really <laughs> instrumental in and in me even getting to go to the matches for the first time because I'd seen you all over the covers of the wrestler and the inside sure. wrestling, and so you were like a superhero. He goes, yes, I was. I, I had millions of fans all over the world. <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> Yes, yes, this I have fans all over. I was a superhero to everybody. Yes, yes, yes. yes of, uh, of course, I was your idol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I swear to God, I sold many tickets. What? what yeah, what the, <laughs> I was a hero to millions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, as soon as he looked at it, though, he—I swear—he—he he, there was a moment of recognition. He goes, "Oh, it's an idol." <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear yes. that on the tape. He says, "Oh, Austin Idol." Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I okay. maybe he didn't guffaw like you know. But, yeah. But he he it was definitely like he giggled. And, and, <laughs> and what? He's he's very. He doesn't strike me as a giggler. He's he was he was he was he was somewhat merry. Okay. I mean, hell, he's getting fifty dollars uh, an autograph. So. Yeah. I mean, you put you put your money where your mouth was on that one. Yeah. Brian, and I've expensed that, and Brian is <laughs> yet to uh... the Arcadian Vanguard yes, expense account. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I knew I was in trouble when the uh, card got declined. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's because it was a it was a target. <laughs> but uh, but at any rate, so right. uh, I think. You know, Jarrett was sort of painted in the corner because they definitely wanted to bolster the houses. They needed to do something. But they also had just started the storyline with Lawler knocking off the contenders. And so Savage was actually introduced in Memphis as the number seven contender. Oh, okay. In the AWA, which, uh, you know, I've been reading the magazines. And, yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, it, it didn't lessen my enthusiasm at all. And quite frankly, and actually... For all I knew, possibly Savage had gone to the AWA because ICW had disbanded months before. The TV, I think, was off the air. I didn't know that he had lost the title to Paul Christie, the the ICW World Heavyweight Championship. And uh, so bringing him in, I think, in that way sort of... Hurt, hurt it and it hurt the program in Memphis. That okay, because that's what I was going to ask. If if how he debuted was more like kind of like the like the Scott Hall like NWO star. No, see that was that that seems like it, it, it seems like especially because it was such a presence there, and, and I'm sure you knew as a fan, you knew about like them calling out Lawler mm-hmm. and 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 calling out Tojo Yamamoto and and Dundee and stuff on their TV shows. If you were watching it, right? They were they were just doing that on their shows, yeah. right? Yeah. They... So so yeah, it would make sense if he if it was more of an invasion. Kind of thing, kind of, almost like how when they started the th- the deal with the WWF in the in ninety three when uh, Jarrett was at the show and 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 challenges Bret Hart for the Intercontinental Title from the crowd, yeah. you know, like something yeah. like that. That's yeah. what I was wondering if it started like that. Well, see, and that's the thing. A lot of people uh, the the tape that's in circulation, and actually, I think one of the, the I get you know, there's a couple of different versions floating around on YouTube, and one of them is titled Randy Savage's debut appearance in Memphis. And a lot of people think that this appearance led to 
uh, this December fifth match. Oh, yeah, but but uh, you know, but Savage is already talking about a cage match. So right, that's the Macho Man Country one where he's got the banner. Yeah, that, yeah, that one? yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. now, had they debuted right. Savage in that fashion, where he interrupts the show, and boy, man, talk about another real moment. No one ever, to my knowledge, put their hands on Dave Brown. And, oh yeah, and he—I don't know if you remember, but he he tips Davey on the chin there, and I and. Oh yeah, he they, does that thing like he used to do to that he did to Elizabeth ooh. later on. Like that, that uh, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if Savage did not realize that he was screwing with the number one weatherman right, in the Mid South right. who had a lot of pool. And plus, you know, if anybody, you know, it was just different. It, it, Dave was the more subdued. Um, you just you, you know, Lance. Okay, you might grab his lapels and and poor Dream Machine swears that. He was just—he meant to grab Lance and shake him, but then he tripped because there is there was oh. a little step up, yeah, yeah, to the interview thing, and he said he just tripped and just fell on top of him, and uh, God's lucky, lucky he didn't kill Lance. But uh, after Lance paid the uh, the alley oop video, yeah, oh no, no, I remember that. Yeah, I remember seeing that on on, on tape, and it was it, it was shocking even at this point seeing it because no, you know, just because no one puts their hands on Lance, yeah. I, I like that. I like that ruling of, of the 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 announcers. I think I think you were the one that told me that that, that Jerry Jarrett said that like if you went on the Tonight Show and and insulted Johnny Carson, he's not going to have you back on the show, <laughs> you know. Or if you went on Jimmy Fallon and insulted him, he's not going to have you back on the show. So well, yeah, well, especially if it got physical. Yeah, 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 especially yeah, if it got physical. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean I don't mean just like ball busting. I mean like if you were really abusive. To, like that you're not gonna there you know we saw that with letterman over the years but uh when when and when savage he you know he just it, it, it's not with a lot of force but he goes do you know who i am and i guess dave kind of like looks away kind of rolls his eye and he tips dave's head up Ooh. yeah and dave instinctively almost raised a fist <laughs> I, it's <laughs> it's uh it's a it's a it's a great little moment now had that been the first time that we yeah. had seen Savage since the ICW days, I think they would have sold the place out. Oh, that um, would have been great because it it would have had that that realism, yeah. that personal issue that 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 drove the whole territory. Right. That you, you oh it, well I don't know everything else seems maybe the other stuff's not real but this seems real this yeah. seems like you know he's he's a he's a maniac you know yeah and it really is that that the NWO angle before. Uh, there, you know, there, there was even a thought of an NWO and had they yeah. been able to do it, but Rip said, uh, we're going to have Rip Rogers on the show. And when I told him what I wanted to talk about, I, I did float the idea quickly, uh, why they didn't do, uh, what, bring everybody in. He said, man, but after it was over, you know, we had put our heart and souls into the thing and, and mm. we just all, disper you know, dispersed. Uh, yeah. And went on other stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of us didn't, didn't really talk for a while. Uh, and I, I was like, nevertheless, if I, if, if, you know, it's easy to sit back and, and armchair book, but I, I think I would have, if, if I'd been Jared, I would have tried, if I couldn't get him that first week, uh, I would have done anything I could to get, to get Ronnie Garvin in, uh, uh, Rip certainly, uh, Pez Watley, who had been, yeah. uh, you know, had the, Pez Watley was the most unlikely uh, heel 
uh, when, when, you know, when they finally turned him and, and Jim Crockett's promotion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that he was going to be great. Because, yeah, but I'd seen him do, you know, he was doing the King gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. W, which is a, another little shot at Lawler. Uh, but uh, I honestly think that, 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 that it hurt the feud in Memphis the following week for a cage match, which you think that even around Christmas time, which sometimes could be challenging uh, to draw for the Memphis mm-hmm. promotion. Because, you know, it's these are people who, a lot of blue-collar fans, and, sure. you know, they, hey, Christmas is right around the corner. But this is, you know, this is special, because fans have been watching that that ICW show. Uh, they, and then for that angle is incredible. But, ha- I, again, I, I think if he had not been brought in as just another yeah. contender for Lawler to knock off, it would have had a more dangerous feel because they're all reacting like, where is he? Why are you here? You know, how do you do? You can't come in here. We're going to call the police. Well, he just wrestled Lawler the previous week. But, yeah. And he was brought in. He's, yeah. he's a ranked contender. And you it's know? funny. I've talked to he's fans, not an outlaw. I've talked to fans who, you know, from, from different areas, they all remember it differently. You know, they, they think, Oh, that was the greatest thing. And I think they drew 8,000 fans. They're one of the biggest crowds ever. They had drawn in Lexington, drew a huge house in Louisville because that the, the show, the bicycle tape did not include, uh, you know, the December 3rd. So didn't have any reference to Savage. That was, stri- oh, okay. that was strictly because it was last minute. They had already introduced the storyline. They had to have Lawler beat a few named guys because Bockwinkle was coming in. Um, so the cage match only draws, I think, barely 4,000. They come back the week after that. It's a, and again, this should be uh, an incredible uh, tag showdown. Lawler and Idol against Joe LaDuke and Savage. Yeah. I mean, man, that's a, Drew, do less than 2,500 fans. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got the number here. It's twenty four eighty. Yeah, and it's yeah. just that you know, even with it being around Christmas time, that should have been just an unbelievable main event. Uh, and I and I can't help but think that that was a, a just a rare miscue on uh, Jarrett's part. Uh, you know, even though they, they had the good house drawing eight thousand fans on December fifth, I think they could have gotten that anyway with the Fabs and the Road Warriors. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I would think so, you especially know, if it's the Road Warriors coming in for the first time. And I wasn't even thinking, you know, if if they had brought in, uh, you know, let's say a Ventura or, a you know, a, a mid-level AWA guy who... Lawler. Had Ventura already been there? Because th- this was after, like, Hanson was already there yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Ventura... So it was after they had yeah, tagged? well, and it was after... And it was after... This is uh, after Pat- uh, Patera's initial run-through. Yeah, because uh, Patera was, like, the month before. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So they yeah. they they'd had the program with Patera. Patera just came in for that one night, put Lawler over clean, and Ventura would have been the next log- logical choice because Ventura likes to say that he he was he never lost to Lawler. You know, he was he won the Southern title, and then he had a family emergency, and and Lawler said, "Don't worry about it." And he made up the story about wrestling as a late substitute for an ill Wahoo McDaniel <laughs> in <laughs> Chicago, where the Southern title was routinely defended. Yes, uh, yes. that uh, that he on Halstead Street. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 you, the, is, Ventura forgets that Lawler had indeed defeated him weeks earlier with the help of the San Diego Chicken. Oh, via is that the famous San Diego chicken yes, match? Yes, yes, via, uh, via, via count out, which in Memphis. The highly priced San Diego chicken. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, who did not work for chicken feed. No, no. Yes. Hey, good night, everyone. Uh, 
So, uh, so yeah, I, I just, uh, lo- looking at this, it was definitely, I think, one of the most, if not the most memorable night of 1983, given the fact that you had the Warriors and Savage making their debut. I mean, what a, what a dream night. And if you look at the talent up and down, this is, this was, uh, this is a great card. Yeah. This is coming. Uh, we'll do this really quickly. Um, now this, you look at all these names, and at this point there had been all these, like I think I think even one night in '83 there were maybe two eight man tag matches because Lawler Lawler had been booking, yeah. and this is when Lawler had been sort of stockpiling talent, uh, thinking of running opposition, you know, like breaking away from Jarrett because he had not given him his his percentage in, in the company, which you know Jarrett says he just forgot. Uh, yeah, you know, sure, sure he did. Well, hey, <laughs> come on now. I've dealt with club uh, owners. I mean, you know, you forget these things. Yeah, sometimes it happens. Yeah, it happens. Uh, I once had a club owner tell me uh, that that comics need to need to, need to be better with their money to account for being paid late because he had paid me like two months late. So it was your fault. <laughs> it was my fault because I'm not good enough with my money. Yeah. yeah that sounds people. like totally like Nick, Nick Goodness. Because <laughs> 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 oh, who uttered the famous line, boy, it ain't what you make, it's what you save. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. But sometimes it's what you make. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But the opener, uh, a lot of and a lot of people look at this result like, what the hell? Angelo yeah. Poffo beats Buddy Landell. What happened here was Landell comes out, gets on the mic, and goes, I'm not an opening match wrestler. I'm not wrestling this old man. I'm out of here. And he gets counted out. <laughs> so that's so, but you know, Landell keeps his heat and doesn't have to. But why, you know, I was a little puzzled by why the, make the match in the first place, though? Yeah, so- exactly. Because to me, I was like, oh, okay, well, Pop, he's in the building. So he's going to come out and interfere. And he did. And, uh, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, the grapplers, uh, you may know them as the dirty white boys, Tony Anthony and Lynn Ditton over the Jaguar, Ken Wayne, rip blatantly ripping off tiger mask and giant Frazier, (laughs) plowboy Frazier, which must've been a, a barn burner. Uh, half of it was, I bet you half of it, half of it was probably excellent, but, but, and this is okay. And then this is, this is a man. And this is one of those matches where they just had so many guys. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you know, and quickly, uh, Jarrett was going to start phasing these guys out because you just, you know, you couldn't make money with all these, uh, with all these stacked cards that Lawler was doing. Uh, the moon, this is okay. How many guys are involved? The moon dogs, the A team, the dream machine and pork chop cash over Terry Taylor, Bobby Eaton, Stagger Lee, Robert Gibson, Art Cruz, and Tom Pritchard. It's a hell of a, yeah, yeah. It's a hell of a lot of talent. Uh, in one ring. Yeah, and this is after the Moondogs Fabs feud, right? This yeah. is late this is later on that year. God, that, that feud was so good. Yeah, ripping up the oh, ripping up the jackets. Oh, so good. Oh, and again, dude, I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> My mom's in the living room and uh, you know, they had just left the fans in a bloody heap. They had ripped up the jackets and, and, uh, and they, you know, Lane and Kern have both got juice and Lane doesn't say anything because Lane, you know, could be the jokester, right? So yeah. it wasn't appropriate for him to say anything, but, but Kern had the fire, right? And he was, he was more reminiscent, I think, of the fans who remembered, uh, Jackie in, in his heyday. Mm-hmm. He had that, you know, he was a good looking guy. 
clearly, you know, you look at Kurt. He's not like a, he wasn't like a sex symbol type. Like well, Stan Lane was like, looked like a, you know. But it was, it's funny about Curry because you see him in like 78 and he's in Florida and, you know, by all accounts, a great worker. And, he, you know, he and Mike Graham yeah. are a solid team. Guys don't typically tend to get in a hell of a lot better shape as they get older. <laughs> you know, from yeah. Oh, he got significantly yeah. yeah, more muscular and, and just that the beard helped him so much. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He, I, he did not have a face that should be clean shaven. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they did an injury angle to, to get him off TV for yeah. a while. So he could, he could grow it out. Lanes didn't quite come in for the, uh, <laughs> for, for the, uh, for the debut video, but that, that was a whole, that's a whole nother show in itself yeah. because that thing was so state of the art for its day. And one of the best, uh, really one of the best, uh, video packages, uh, and introductions of a team and a gimmick that in the history of the business. And, and oh yeah, I mean they 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 remade it shot for shot for the Fantastics. Yeah, yeah, they did a lot of that. <laughs> they they that. literally did the same video shot for shot. Oh, uh, and then which which very well could have been. I don't I don't recall. Uh, you know, because again, I wasn't thinking about what was the best match on the card. Sure, sure. But you know, uh, like it was weird. I think I, I feel like because you had asked me earlier, like about knowing what a good worker was and when you kind of figure that out. It was like I didn't even I, I never quite understood it until I started reading like the new the newsletters. Um, but I I couldn't like in, intellectualize it, but I knew like I knew guys like oh I like this I like this guy's matches because there's more action in it. You know, they move they yeah. do a lot more. I like the NWA style. Uh, of uh, matches because they were grittier and there was more action and they there was more violence and, and you know you just kind of knew you knew what what uh, what it was without having the words to explain it yeah and you wouldn't say chemistry because you didn't realize that they were necessarily working together no, no I didn't but... quite know it's like a magician you you knew something was going on you just didn't know what it was yeah it's like with, with Bockwinkle you know I knew that those were some of those exciting matches uh, but I think just because uh the world heavyweight championship which is the the way they they booked it where it was special uh because the champion didn't come in that often yeah and every time so therefore every time he and lawler met it, it really was a different match every time as opposed to uh mr flair's uh routine and it was interesting although to- flair gets a bad rap for that in he had before, I think before that he got really overexposed on TV. If you look at some of his other matches, like if you look at his stuff in mid South, like, or from Houston, he, he did wrestle a lot of different style kind of matches. He's, there's a great match with him and Jake Roberts where Roberts hits him with the DDT yes. before it fell. Yes. And it's like, and most of the matches him selling the, you know, uh, and then he had a great match with, with Butch Reed. Uh, I think he gets a, he gets a raw shake for that, but, but he did eventually, I think lapse into having the same match almost all the time. That was, uh, and I, I think that's some of the most brilliant booking I've ever seen yeah. because Jake Roberts is, is so over red hot as a baby face the DDT is the most over finishing move in pro wrestling. Yeah. And Flair kind of maybe playfully slaps him during the introductions. Jake nails the DDT. Flair's out, but the bell yeah. hasn't rung. The bell hasn't rung yeah. yet. Jim yeah. Ross is about to have a heart attack. Oh, <laughs> oh dang it. I can't ring it now. Dude. Oh, so they have to give Flair time to recover and Jake mm-hmm. can't hit it. You know, so yeah. again, it's just one of those little things where they protected the finisher. Yes. You know, because Jake did hit it. He was out, but the bell end rung. And then 
I think he was going for it again. Flair grabbed the rope, slipped him up. Yeah. Nice little cheat move and uh, got the pinfall and it slipped out of the DDT and turned it into a, a brilliant uh, little sneaky win for the yeah. World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. Nice little, nice little deal there. Uh, oh, what you're saying? This so, this yeah, th- yeah. So Bill Dundee, uh, who again uh, had been red hot earlier that summer and had his push. One of my favorite matches ever. Is yeah, that the, yeah, which we talked about, and I really yeah. feel like we were robbed of this great summer of Lawler and Dundee matches with the roles reversed. Uh, How did he end up coming back? Because this is after the loser leave town match and not very long after. Yeah. I've seen some of the stuff with him and uh, Tommy Rogers where he's slapping Tommy Rogers, which they I think they did that again in Mid-South, too. Yeah, they uh, they, they brought they it, it was pretty clever. They did a deal where uh, the, they, you know, they resurrected the CWA World Tag Titles, got one of Eddie Marlin's bowling trophies. And uh, that's when Lawler and I were really starting to team a lot. But Lawler was also the Southern champion. And Hart came out there one Saturday morning saying that he wrote, he fired off a letter to Stanley Blackburn, the president <laughs> of the AWA and the championship committee, who uh, I always just thought, man, this championship committee, they must be the biggest bunch of idiots. <laughs> what are the qualifications? That sounds like a good gig. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah it sounds like a really cushy job. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, in hindsight, looking back, they were like the FIFA of <laughs> <laughs> sports organizations. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But uh it's like gosh, the, the Lawler said the championship committee was going to review the film. <laughs> what, what what are they looking at? Oh my gosh. Uh, oh but anyway, so it was determined that Lawler had not defended the championship. He was therefore stripped. A tournament must be held immediately and all the participants must be former AWA Southern Heavyweight Champions. Ah, uh, okay. And so there's the loophole, and yeah. Hart brings out Dundee. And I think they should have just kept him healed. They turned him babyface after Lawler got the win, and it just didn't – I don't know. It just didn't quite take. Uh, and they Well, sure. Him. They just last saw him as this hated heel. Yeah, yeah, and it just – Although uh, even in that 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 turn was kind of subtle too, wasn't it, going leading up to the loser leave town? Wasn't it just – they just wanted to stop teaming with each other? Well, that 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 was that was this. No, this was uh, that was this one. Okay, that, that was this one because uh, right. Lawler, you know, reluctantly uh, accepted Bill, uh, started trusting him again. But then after a few weeks, it really I don't think it was drawn well. And the and Dundee, you know, was just I think he had found that that character that he really was in real life that he had kept silent for so long. Because he really does, you know, he's cocky and funny and yeah. and all that, and he and he finally had the muzzle off, and so for him to go back to the to being the baby, the humble baby face, it just wasn't working. Yeah, and so and I, but I love the way Lawler pulled the plug on it by coming out there because you know I I I don't have anything against Bill. Um, I it, it it it's just things just aren't the same, and and it makes you think of like okay, you know, like friends that maybe. You know, something. oh yeah, where you've kind of outgrown a friendship. Yeah, and yeah, like, and it, is, yeah, yeah, and and it was like he wasn't knocking Dundee at all, and uh, yeah. he, he just said, you know, for me, it's just not working. And of course, that just set Dundee off, and sure. and, and they were off and running. Uh, and Dundee this, is a guy that I that I really came around on through like the tape trading and and seeing footage of him, um, you know, seeing a lot of footage of him. Uh, I think he's just incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was uh, a, a tremendous, you know, and both has a baby Especially face. Ezekiel. Yeah, as a as a baby face, beautiful selling. I mean, right there with yeah. Ricky Steamboat. He's a master of studio matches. Yes, yeah, he really yeah. is. Yeah, you're he, right. He's so good at those TV studio matches. Yeah, you're. you're you know what? You're right. Uh, yes, uh, he probably had better studio matches than 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 most. Yeah, um, he really did, especially during that you know that time when Lawler was gone, from yeah. from the, with the broken leg, he really carried that the show in a lot of those a lot of those cases. Yeah, that, that you know that that whole year I think is an is an underrated year because you could tell yeah. Jarrett really wanted to prove a point that they could draw, and they did. They do some they do some great yeah. houses uh, that year, and and God knows in '79 toward the end of '79 when uh, when Lawler broke his leg, really it was almost the best thing that that could have happened. In the long run, because for whatever reason, it just wasn't clicking, and and, yeah. and Lawler was doing the best heel promos in the country. Oh, I love the, the his promo on Ken Lucas. I oh, yeah, that. yeah, that's so good. Which, well, which one? The one? Well, 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 that whole little feud. Like he's like, yeah. I'm not, you know. I don't. And even then know. I love, and then the stuff with Jarrett with the contract negotiations. Yeah. Of uh, I'm not going to deal with Lawler's contract anymore. If you want to be, if you you're, you'll be a preliminary, we'll put you in a preliminary match. You'll get preliminary pay, and I, wonder- I just like that realism. Brought was so was such a interesting and different thing that you never you didn't really see in other wrestling shows and i was curious where that was gonna go you know yeah. uh it, we're, we're exactly you know because it was uh abruptly dropped when when all the i know you know jerry has explained that uh, supposedly this was going to lead to what happened in 88 when they unified the the uh the titles oh okay uh, that he was pretty sure he had talked Vern. Into a deal, you know, and Bachwinkle had come in and wrestled Lawler in a CWA title versus AWA title match. And I think that was pretty smart. If Jarrett was going to create this World Heavyweight Championship uh, from scratch and try to give it some semblance of credibility, uh, who, who better, you know, bring in Bachwinkle? Yeah. Who the fan, you know, if it's, if, if Bachwinkle finds it worthy for, for him to go after this title being the AWA world heavyweight champion, then that certainly will give Lawler some, some credibility. Um, and the, and the belt, even though, you know, and I've told the story before when Lawler won the belt in Lexington, uh, they tried to treat it as like something really big. So they were, you know, they asked Jack Eaton, the, the local sportscaster who typically would do the results on Monday night and, and Tuesday afternoons and would do probably his best ratings of the week when he did that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but he announced it, I think, on Wednesday, uh, like Wednesday night, Thursday, like three nights, every night that week, they showed the finish to the match, uh, which I don't even think aired in, uh, on the studio show. And they really treated it as something special. Like our local, uh, he's won the world heavyweight championship. And I, but I had not seen it, but my dad called and he was at the fire station and he called and, he, and he's like, uh, he's like, well, you, the King did it. And I said, what? He said, he just won the world heavyweight title. I said, <laughs> oh, he beat Bockwinkle. Right. And he's like, no, nah, he, uh, somebody named Billy Graham. I went, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, even at that point, uh, cause they were still, the NWA was still coming in to Memphis. Right. But I, I, I always still think of like the AWA title as the title that was mem that Memphis recognized really. Well, yeah, because uh, the, the, it's the most associated for me watching well, it yeah even i mean the nwb champions though i mean they had uh Goulis booked booked the champion yeah. a lot more than than jarrett did it really sh- the, the shift started and i think it was a smart thing to do because you would get six weeks worth worth of angles 
in, in the appearance, you know, guys positioning, jockeying for the the title shot. Sure. You know, when they brought in Dusty in 77, that whole thing was to determine, you know, who is the top guy in the ratings. And they were really focused on that. And that, that, that I really like that stuff because. Oh, I do too. I wish they did that with Brock Lesnar when he wasn't around for yeah. the time with the title. Yeah. And just the, the, instead of just ignoring that, that title existed while he's not there, you got, you got, you got storylines for a couple of months of people trying to get in position to get a shot when he comes back. Yeah. Yeah, it made it's so it's so interesting, and it was such a different dynamic than what I was used to growing up because I grew up mainly with uh, WWF and and then uh, you know Crockett, which the champion was there all the time, even though it was a it he, the NWA title was a traveling championship, he was still a home championship, he's still a company champion in that region. Yeah. Uh, and, and why, why is Lawler defending the CW world title against Paul El- Ellering and Jonesboro? And what, right. and, why, and why is he wrestling in tag matches with handsome Jimmy every week? As right, a heel? Right. You know, it really, yeah. That, why isn't he in Japan? And yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, let's, let's see if we could get through this card. Sure. Sorry. Um, the match that we've been referring to, but we have yet <laughs> To even listen to these opponent, Ricky Morton, which yeah. uh, this must have been a hell of a barn burner. I, I sort of remember them brawling out all over the place and then Dundee doing something shady to get the win. There's uh, no DQ. Yeah. And talk about an un, uh, a team that is sort of underrated in the annals of, of Memphis wrestling because there were so many great tag teams. but uh, And primarily as, as heels, but they were reunited as baby faces here. Dutch Mantel and Austin Idol. Yeah. And again, one of those odd couple teams. You know, you wouldn't think that these two guys would be thrust together. Uh, and some fans might look at that and go, oh, you know, the thing about Stan and C that was cool, you know, they... they, they both from Florida with the blonde hair and, um, you know, Ricky and Robert, the rock and roll express, even though one had dark hair and the one had blonde hair, they're pretty much the same guy. They look like a team. Like, yeah, but there was something about that oddball team that, that was thrust together, you know, Hickerson and, and Condry, I think are yeah. a good example of that. And even when that angle with Lawler and LaDuke caught fire and well, they, even look at, at, at Hayes and Gordy. Yeah, Totally. You know, they, they fit, they fit together from, you know, the, the, the Southern rock style, but they didn't look like they were a team. And then you had Buddy Roberts. who's like, yeah, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's just it, like a it, wild man. Yeah. Yeah. Which they were against, but, uh, but quickly, I think, uh, oh, sure. uh drank and could, drank, pissed and shit their way in his way into their hearts. <laughs> exactly. And then also he could do the job. He could lose. And then the other two could keep the heat. And so on this night, uh, Mantel and Idol, who I remember when they first introduced the CWA World Tag Titles back in, I think, 1980. Uh, and it's funny, Mantel remembered this. I said, I said, Dutch, do you remember where you said you won the semifinals <laughs> to, to have the match with uh, Tojo and Jared? He goes, Hang on, I think I got. I said the spectrum, and he goes, "Yes, the spectrum in Philly." That's right, the Philly spectrum. <laughs> the one, the one time in Philly that he goes, he goes, yeah. and I remember like the night before, I had some basketball game or something. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll say, I'll say it was at the spectrum." <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I've uh, seen one of their matches. Uh, I think it was the one where from the Spectrum. Uh, no, yes, yeah, <laughs> it was the Spectrum. It was Dutch and Dutch and Austin Idol against the Wild Samoans. I think it was underneath a, a Backland Duncan uh, main event. It was um, no, it was Mantel and Idol against uh, Tommy Rich and Bill Dundee. I think it's the match where oh yeah, yeah. Rich and Dundee win the titles from like '81. Yes, and it was great. They were Mantel. Mantel's another guy that I really had my eyes opened on yeah. through seeing. Uh, uh, the tapes and stuff. His feud with Lawler and, and the, the barbed wire match is one of my favorites where, where they barely even touched the barbed wire. It just was so well done. Well, yeah. And, you know, we were just funny. We were talking earlier about psychology and ladder matches. One of the better l- ladder matches I've ever seen was Lawler and Miz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, uh, just uh, uh, I know I go on and on about uh, the king and his psychology, but perfect example of you don't have to take these ridiculous bumps to get the people into a ladder match and he and the Miz really worked some magic that night and i think if they had it to do over again i'm almost surprised they didn't call it audible and have lawler grab it and win it that just yeah that would i mean i i that was probably my last legit mark out moment (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're like, you know, not a lot catches me by surprise. And I'm not impressed with a lot of, of, of the thinking that goes into some of the decisions they make. But for that moment, I got swept up like a kid um, all over again, which um, I know it's going to have everyone tearing up. Um, yep. But uh, Dennis Condry and Norval Austin, this version of the Midnight Express, I can only imagine that perhaps Randy Rose was at ringside. Uh, Norville Austin, another guy, underrated talent. Dennis Condry, just God, how many great tag teams was this guy part of? Uh, oh yeah, I mean he, he's yeah he's one of those those consummate like tag wrestlers. Yeah, yep. And then we have the showdown: Southern Tag Team Champions, the fabulous ones, go to a double <laughs> disqualification with the Road Warriors. And man, um, I, not much of this match aired. Uh, but the very beginning did and and one of the various music videos uh that the fabs did <laughs> and it was just the stare down and then it just explodes and i swear you know kern or kern and lane both i think have described man we were there with the warriors it was like you either like gave it you know dished it back out or they were going to eat you alive it's yeah. probably, probably the closest thing to a shoot that i've seen and i think they only went like 5 or 6 minutes I mean, it was just a non, just a brawl from start from the word go, and uh, and it was quickly over and done with. And then the main event, Lawler and Savage, dream match, and one of the most intriguing things to me, I'd never seen uh, a guy who no sold Lawler's punches, who wasn't you know occasionally you'd see like a, a monster heel and to get him over. Uh, they would have him no sell the punches, but Lawler said they weren't. I mean, and it was almost like I look back on it now and I think, I think that, and maybe even Lawler alluded to it in an interview uh, about maybe he was on speed or something. <laughs> 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 or, you know, PCP, we, Angel Dust, whatever. Yeah. And, well, and, and, because and Savage did have that sort of. PCP, Angel yeah. Dust. <laughs> Your dad's dead, man. <laughs> yes, that's you know, the yeah. best that promo. Your well, dad is dead. <laughs> well, it's, well, yeah. The thing, the thing. Okay, the the that promo because uh, obviously Poffo and, and I remember too. This was odd. You know, the, whole, the like booking Poffo in the opening match has a baby face yeah. against against Buddy Landell, who doesn't deem him worthy. So, which sort of makes sense for the story they're telling because. 
Puffo doesn't actually have to work and and uh, get the crowd behind him as somebody to cheer for, and he comes out later and he's still wearing his tights and his ring jacket, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> which I thought was strange, but he interferes in the match and I and again it sort of uh, gave away the finish for even though I didn't know what a finish was really then yeah I, I, I had a feeling that he was going to interfere and and shake thing and, and, and you'd watched enough where you understood yeah, oh yeah. this feels like something's going to go on here yeah it yeah. Exactly. And and if and if I had that feeling, then I'm sure uh, a lot of the fans did, too. But it, I remember it being a hell of a match. I remember vividly uh, Savage hitting the axe handle uh, on Lawler and just, you know, and suddenly when Lawler pulls the strap, the punches start having <laughs> the sting, I guess, sure. as, as um Savage has worn down a bit. But, uh, you know, I went back and I, and I watched that. So again, it's dubbed the uh, the first appearance of Savage, which is, uh, t- I mean, it, yeah, it is the first studio appearance. Yeah. Uh, but it's unfortunate that because it, it really is incredible. He takes the picture and he busted over his head, and and I guess Lawler he cut a promo uh, saying, you know, oh, you, you know, he had to have his dad, his old, uh, you know, wrinkled up father, come out and, and save him and fight his battles, and and which I don't think that part aired. Because they, I don't think they acknowledged that they had met yet, right? So that part probably didn't air. Yeah, I don't think because that's why I think people think it's the very first yeah. appearance. No. Because a lot of those, a lot of those tapes aren't the Memphis show, right? They're right. they're like Louisville usually or Evansville or something like that. And I, I think, think, and I think, yeah. and I think some people it's a shame Evan. that that there are not more of those complete ninety minutes yeah. because it's it's not the same show. You know, no, like having the the promos in front of the black curtain is it's not the same as when I saw some Memphis ones and they just cutting it live after the angle and they're still sweaty and they're still like all hopped up from the angle. And and it just had a different it was, you know, it's like getting a getting a post-match interview as opposed to a pre-tape. Yeah. And there's and there's you know? so many times where they're, you can, you know, they're, they're not supposed to say Memphis. Yeah, and they, and they go. Oh, when I get you, Memphis or Nashville, or, 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 you know, um, they always tried to to avoid that when, whenever they could. But uh, you couldn't help but but have it slip uh, on occasion. But uh, but even then, though, with them, and I can only assume that based off this angle, when they met in Louisville, when they met in Lexington, for the very first time, it was in a cage because all of that was was shown around the territory. But again, that sort of makes sense that if Savage is a guy who invades the studio. Right. If they did it that way, yeah. And, and wants Lawler, who cares about titles? Let's have a showdown. I've been challenging you for four years. Let's meet in a steel cage. So all that makes sense because you, usually you wouldn't start a feud in a steel cage match. Right. But with these two and Savage being just a psycho, um, it, it, it really would make sense. And, and and actually the finish to this match left a lot to be desired because somehow it almost – and again, I, I look back at it and I'm like, what was the thinking behind the finish? Joe LaDuke of all people was able yes. to scale the cage. Climbs the cage. <laughs> like a, like a shaky, cat. rickety cage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Climbs up there. Yeah. Because uh, I've seen that match. Like I feel like I've seen that match so many times because it was on like a bunch. It was on Wrestling Gold. It was yeah. on a bunch of tapes. And it's unfortunate that the first meeting is not in wide circle. Yeah. Actually, the, in my favorite match of theirs – uh, because the feud quickly cooled, you know, these mm-hmm. two were kept apart. Lawler went on to wrestle Bockwinkle. I think it actually would have been cool, you know, perhaps if, uh, you know, Lawler gets this win, they, they bill him as the AWA contender. And then when Lawler's wrestling Bockwinkle, 
Because Savage had a claim to the World Heavyweight Championship, even though it was the ICW title. Maybe yeah. he gets involved in that, and it turns into kind of a three-way feud with Lawler. How about this? Savage, Bockwinkle, and Lawler in a, in a you know, kind of a triangle feud for the, for the AW oh, title. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, because yeah. I know there is there is a Savage Bachwinkle match. Yeah, that was in '85. Yeah. yeah, that was '85. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, after the but uh, so things kind of cooled on the Lawler Savage feud uh, in Memphis, but I think it continued to do well in Kentucky. Now part of that's because uh, the Papos were kind of stationed there, uh, and they were better known. I think in from in, the Ghoulis, right? Yeah, were him like in Dutch and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so they they were better known, and that so the, it was a little bit more heated. But I honestly think that they would have gotten more mileage out of the feud had they booked uh, Savage has has a, as an invader. And not just the number seven AWA contender. Yeah, I didn't so. know that they did that. I really thought it was it was him invading because it just makes so much sense. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's right there for you. You had you had all that history that you could draw on, which which Memphis usually does so well. Uh, they really draw on the history of, of of wrestlers and of of relationships, and that that was just like laid out for you. It feels like it would have been such a such a much more exciting angle. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and again, but again, it, it it was very last minute that they put the deal yeah. together because I think uh, again, I think Jarrett and Savage talked on a Thursday. They and Lawler's they still had to arrange a phone call because Lawler wanted to you know Savage had to apologize. Yeah, over the phone. So all this had to take place very quickly. Uh, so it was very thrown together. Uh, but they they really needed to get the houses up because they they had been uh, in in dangerously low for for weeks. So they perhaps pulled the trigger a little too early on it, maybe hurt the feud short term in Memphis. But then, and do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But later on, they did they 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 got a little. It, the issue got hot again when uh when uh, Lawler was the Southern champion, Savage was the Mid America champion, and they did unification matches. Uh, and I think the best Lawler Savage match, besides the loser leave town match. Uh, which again is a very different Lawler match because Lawler takes a beat. Like he's always been a oh. he's always been a slow starter. Yes, as, yes. As, as, Lan, as Lance would point out, matches up well with Jumbo. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Jumbo Shruti. Yes, uh, but uh, very well, well played. Yeah, uh, but uh, been friends for a while, Scott. I know. This yeah, story. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, oh, but uh, it's a match that uh, I, th- I believe it's from Lexington, and they. Oh, I've seen that match. It's fantastic. Yeah, and they filmed yeah. it with Paul Morton, and and I think it's uh, two referees, and uh, it's it's uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's Lexington. It, I think it, you're right. It's, yeah, it's got, it, yeah, it, it has it's that. Almost, it's the same place where he fought Martel, where where Lawler fought no, Martel. No, that because that was Nashville, wasn't it? I don't know. It looked like the same arena. But that was a that was a that was a that was a damn good match. Yeah, that was great, Martel. But uh, that was like one of Martel's first like kind of heelish. Oh, I I think I think Vern missed the boat, man. Yeah, and I, and I think Jared too. I think they you know when they did that whole tricky business with bringing Nick in as the AWA champion, even though that was a hell of a promo that Nick cut explaining the whole deal. Uh, I, you know, I just think I think it really would have worked uh, had Martel uh, gone heel. Uh, and it, and that was a different Lawler match than than you would typically yes. see, and uh, and very well done. I and I think I'm surprised that after seeing Martel's performance that they didn't bring Rick back in. Uh, and maybe I mean you know 
you know, maybe Jared has a word with Vern says, you know, because uh, I know that they were frustrated with Martell because he was with the promos. He was going to be limited, I think, uh, even though, he, you know, he was over and a favorite, but he was not going to exa- right. exactly set the world on fire as 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 champion. Um, but, uh, you know, if they, if they had switched him and we all saw late, you know, he was a, he was a hell of a heel in WWE, uh, later on as, as the mm-hmm. model. I mean, not a top guy, but definitely had the, 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 the smarminess, if not, yeah. if not on the natch, I don't, cause I don't think he, he was really like that. Like Rick Rude had it. R- Rude just oozed that, that he just rude just it was like sleazy yeah like he just seems he just like that uh like you're just like oh <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know and again he I, jared says that he after watching rick a couple of times who was going nowhere as a vanilla baby face everywhere he, at every stop you know jared again just to see something you know that was part of the infamous trade deal in 83 um and here's it, man. Here's a, here's another thing that's kind of interesting. Let's say that ICW had folded a little bit sooner and Savage had come into play earlier. Uh, you have to think that Bill Watts would have been intrigued with him. Oh, sure. And man, what eh, again, one of those what if scenarios, like had Savage come in in 82 and been there for a while. Watts wants him as part of the trade deal. Can you imagine Savage and and mid south during like eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, uh, that would have been some cool stuff. But I'm, I mean, glad, I'm, just, I'm glad we had him as long as we did in Memphis. Oh, he had, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that his run uh, the, from the stuff I've seen of it. Yeah, he definitely does cool off after the face turn, but but the the initial face turn in the feud with Rude and Bundy is, is fantastic. Well, and then then he kind of cools off a little, and then but then the heel turn really kicks it back in again. Yeah, that that, uh, that deal because it was a Lala Rude match. Uh, and 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 Bundy interferes and Savage makes the save and the place went crazy for that. Yeah, and and Savage, I just remember him jumping over the table. Yeah, and, Sa- and Savage is screaming, "We're in the twilight zone." Yeah, now. we're in the twilight yeah. zone. So, yeah. so obviously inspiring a young Brian Lawler and Tony <laughs> Williams. Him and then him and Jimmy Valiant as the street people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, one one memorable Jimmy Hart throwaway line. I'm just gonna, I don't, and maybe you know what it is. Uh, Lawler's making his comeback, and Hart's going crazy. And Lawler goes to the middle rope to do the fist drop. With, and Hart, you can hear Hart, but it's barely audible. And Lance's microphone, top rope, top rope, <laughs> top rope. <laughs> but yeah. And Lance is like, that's not the top rope. <laughs> Oh, he was so great. Uh, so funny. Jim, yeah, but yeah, Savage in Memphis was like, he was almost like a wild animal when he yeah. first came in. Like the way he moved. And he, it, it's interesting in the, in, in the Loser to Leave Town match that you were talking about. He stalls a lot at the beginning. Very, like, it's, yeah, it's a very methodical match. It's really, yeah. And he, yeah. And, but even the way he stalls, he moves so fluidly. Like the way he jumps out of the ring, like <laughs> through the first and second rope and just kind of like barely touches the rope and just kind of jumps right out and like lands like a cat on his feet. Like he, his movement was so like almost feral. Like yeah. he was like just a wild <laughs> animal. You well, know? Yeah. And, and to me, it was like he was waiting for uh, an opening on Lawler. Like he was stalling, yeah. like because Lawler was yeah, coming, and trying to trying to piss yeah, him so, off. So Lawler's, yeah. Lawler's coming out aggressive. Lawler knows this is a big match. Again, this is all psychology. Uh, but Lawler gets very little offense in, and then Savage is so quick that he slips in there, gains the advantage, and pretty much beats the crap out of Lawler. The only other match I've seen quite like it was the uh, 
uh, last chance that Lawler had to get the Southern title back from Bockwinkle, and he had to put up his hair. Uh, Bockwinkle just dominates that yeah. from the word go because the only reason he's even coming back because he's the world he's the AWA world champion. What's he? You know, he can't be bothered with this Southern title. <laughs> but if Lawler puts his hair on the line, so he's got this motivation. And it's a different Lawler Bockwinkle match because Bockwinkle is the aggressor, you know, and and he's got something to win this time. And Lawler took more punishment in that match than uh, than probably any one I've ever seen until uh, the Savage Loser leave town. And I think a lot of fans were getting used to not only Lawler winning these kinds of matches. I think some fans probably sensed that Savage was going to be moving on to bigger and better things. Cause he was just so talented, but when they called for the finish and that was, a, that was a hell of a finish mm-hmm. with, I mean, it was just enough blood. Uh, Calhoun is also yeah. Lawler's friend, you know, and that, that, you know, that plays something into it. You know, he's, he's worried about Lawler's long-term career uh, and reluctantly has to stop it. And Lawler just begs and pleads with yeah. Tom Ernesto to, to come from the back. And and they did a similar finish to that in the, one of the Lawler uh, Dundee hair matches, right? Like in the seven, in the late seventies, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not as dramatic. Where, 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 but it was on, but it was on Dundee where they were going to stop the match. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And it's a little, yeah. And there's some humor there because yeah. NWA official guy coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know uh, as the one he was stationed in memphis yeah and and, and dundee, <laughs> yeah and dundee hadn't got uh he, he you know he didn't have the color yeah not like not like this one but he would he was saying he had taken a beating though there was there was yeah. no, i mean he he did a great job it, to me though the the lawler performance though in that one and the crowd was just you know i think about nine thousand strong there which was a great house for Memphis at the time. Savage's swan song. And then the next night, I think I'm about 90% sure drops to Louisville gets pinned clean by Tojo Yamamoto in five minutes. <laughs> and that's his last match in the territory. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, on to uh, Boston garden where you see him not only that's make right. his debut, but uh, also saw the title switch. Correct. Yeah. The, I, yeah. In wow. uh, February, I think it was February of 86. Uh, I saw the, uh, I was there for the night of the, uh, where he won the intercontinental title from Tito Santana. It was yeah. very shocking. It was weirdly uh, in the same, <laughs> the finish of that match where uh, Santana is back, uh, going to back, Suplexed Suplex him yeah, from pulls, into the ring. He pulls the gimmick he, out. Yeah, and he pops him in the face with it. Uh, they did the exact same finish with Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat like two months earlier. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. You yeah, me that. it's really odd, but it was a huge deal. Um, that that show was the also the blow off of one of my favorite house show feuds ever, which was uh, Roddy Piper versus Bruno San Martino. Yeah, and that that the main event of that show was uh, was them in the steel cage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, again, that can open up a whole can of worms because we yeah. talked a little, a little bit before we began about the psychology of the WWF cage matches uh, and how it all started with, with Bruno, I believe, leaving Ivan Koloff dead. Yeah, uh, it was just dominance. Yeah, and then, you know, strolling out of the cage. You know, had, had it been Fargo, he would have strutted. Uh, but, <laughs> but just, you know, I've beaten my opponent so badly 
open the door. He's done. I'm walking. I'm done. With yes, him. exactly. And then and he had that. And he had that swagger, too, when he would leave the cage yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the fans and the fans still believed in him, you know, and and that's the way you book a legend. You know, you, you bring him in occasionally just to put a punk in his place. Uh, if you book an old guy and he did that against Savage later on, yeah. later on that year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, when, uh, and when Savage and, hurt, uh, injured Steamboat. And that was, uh, the, uh, it was always going to pop the house and, and the major markets, uh, especially Boston, in Boston, yeah, Boston, uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. uh, the spectrum, maybe spectrum, yeah, <laughs> Philly and, and Mascara, but Boston, he was, I mean, Boston had such, especially because the Boston garden was in the North end of Boston, which is like, like the little Italy section of Boston. So, Bruno was huge in Boston. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Now, so whenever he showed up, it, it the house the houses went, really, went up. Really quickly, because I uh I believe and, and again I don't think we've explained how you and I met. Um uh, you were basically a fan of mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you know you and Reddit, I'm sorry. You and I'm Reddit, sorry, there's a there's a uh, the connection read, must be bad. I yeah. I didn't hear that. Had, I guess you had read a couple of my 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 old Kentucky Fried Wrestling columns. Yes, on movie poop shoot. Yes. Which again, for those not familiar with Kevin Smith, uh that was kind of I was friends with your boss. Yes. With Chris, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you and you wrote me and you were like, Yeah, I'm a stand up and I was like, Yeah, yeah, buddy. I remember yeah, thinking, you totally like, blew me off. Yeah, yeah, stand, yeah. stand-ups are dime a dozen in this town. Yeah, yeah, you blew me off. <laughs> and I blew you off. And then, bless your heart, you you wrote back like months later. And I, I was like, this, this, guy, this guy seems pretty cool. And then eventually we met for for uh, for dinner. And we talked for like three hours nonstop about rest. To the point that one of my good friends, I think, got jealous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he, I, he, was, he was a little – What of my guy friends? It was a little awkward. Yeah, it was a little awkward. He's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, it was a little awkward. I'm sorry. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of friends, John, but the ones I do – this, this tight-knit circle of like three or four <laughs> – they adore me <laughs> and they want all of your attention yes 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 i can't be everywhere at once i'm sorry <laughs> well hey man uh this has been a absolute blast i think this is easily i think you just topped ken parnell wow this <laughs> for the longest interview oh great. my gosh this is gonna this be fun this has been so much fun though. this is like the this is the equivalent of a texas death match yes <laughs> <laughs> two men enter well wait a minute a texas death match in memphis which could go an hour and 26 falls not a yes. no disqualification match oh yeah they, they would I, when i when i saw when i saw hogan and race they were going to be in a, a texas death match i was so excited i got my dad to take me and it was just a no disqualification yeah it was a good match but it was it was a, it, i was like oh i wanted to see like you know multiple falls yeah. and i thought it was gonna be like that but yeah rip off any, oh, I mean, I just and just one last quick question because yeah. I know when I was reading the wrestling magazines and um, and again, even though Bachwinkle uh, Backlund was in obviously much better shape, better maybe a better ah, uh, what's the word? I think Backlund wor- obviously worked harder at being a legitimate athlete. Where, but I do think that Lawler had a lot of natural athletic ability mm-hmm. um, and eye hand coordination second to none. And some of that could be from his uh, his his artistry. That I, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, just uh, God given talent. But more so than anything, the grasp of the psychology, the gift for gab, and quickly understanding how the business worked, and under the tutelage of Jim White, 
who'd been in the business a few years longer and Sam Bass, you know, right. was and was brought along again, uh, one of those detailed uh, aspects that I don't think Jarrett gets enough credit for. Yes. You know, uh, I know sometimes Jerry says some things and uh, we kind of question whether or not he's, he's, he's pulling our leg or, or maybe exaggerating, but there's no denying the man's success. And just to hear him lay out, uh, how he saw something in Lawler and just the guy, you know, he saw Paul Orndorff in Florida doing jobs, turned him into a superstar. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I didn't know that story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just really Rick Rude. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I never thought that Rude was going to be anything cause I'd seen him on Georgia championship wrestling. Um, uh, pretty much, a, pretty much an opening match guy. And I remember reading, a, a, a it was one of the after mags and it was, uh, it was him talking about how he changed his name from the guttural R O O D to R U R U D E, you know, like it, it, it was an article about his like transformation into ravishing Rick Rude. Well, and in Memphis too, initially he was, yeah. uh, it was R I C and he made a point like, like Ric Flair. <laughs> so and, he, I mean, and I've mentioned this a couple of times he had this really I think this is when Jarrett pulled him aside and said don't do that again he did this really <laughs> awful dance which is not the swivel that was gold this was like kind of like, like a, a strut this was it's kind of like almost like a like a almost a cabbage patch kind of thing where he's oh, yeah oh. it was <laughs> It was awful. Yeah, it was more, and then I think Jared Forty besides says, "No, no, 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 no. That's that's your thinking of what a bad, what a what an arrogant bad guy or a heel is. How are you when you walk into a gym, Rick?" And he said, "I just, I, I instantly saw him get it." Yeah, because well, they, it sounds like Jared, like that. That's like a good director. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like he's he's going, or even like a good acting coach. It, it's it, it's that you like don't play at it. Don't show me that you're arrogant. Just be arrogant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. He goes how are, he goes when you walk into a gym. How do you walk in? Mm. Mm-hmm. He goes when you walk in with your girlfriend into a bar. How do you walk in? <laughs> and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it and really, I mean, my gosh, man, that guy. Debuted in Memphis, I think, in February of '84. By the summer, he and Lawler drawing back-to-back houses, uh, ten thousand people. Uh, that you know, that's yeah, that's, their feud's a lot of fun. That's that's some good stuff there, man. Yeah. Talk about a guy who just uh, quickly grabbed, and then they and then they tried to switch him babyface, and it, and it just didn't, it just <laughs> didn't work. I mean, no. it, it he's just, he's a natural heel. No, nope, there was no going back after that. Well, Wait, what were you going to ask me about the magazine? Oh, oh, uh. I just, I just remember thinking Lawler would kill Backlund. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just wondering, you know, because I'm sure seeing Law and, you know, seeing the athletic Backlund and seeing Bruno, you know, who still had, you know, was still the Italian strong man and had this great physique and was, uh, what did you think of, of, of Lawler? Uh, well, this, this dirty baby face who clearly didn't. That was what that, that was kind of what I was getting to earlier when I was talking about what I grew up watching and stuff is that when I first saw him, I was like, how is he a good guy? Like, I didn't understand that. I'm like, but he's throwing fire at people. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't understand. And like, and, and from my experience, like the only people that would throw fire would be like a, like a monster kind of heel or like a mystical kind of heel, yeah, the, you know, the sheik, like, or, the yeah. sheik or, you know, or like someone like a Kabuki or somebody like that. You can see him throwing fire or with the mist. And, uh, and so I was just like, I was like, where, where did that come? Where does that come from? Like, how does that fit? Um, and I remember just reading, uh, when I would read the magazines, I, I never like 
Backlund was always boring to me as a kid, um, especially in the like his his best years are are his early like seventy eight to like maybe like eighty one eighty two. He had some good stuff in, in there, and in eighty three really tapers off a lot once he gets the buzz cut and he gets the singlet. And he, I think he changed the way he started. He yeah. was working out. He, was he kind of, stopped like, yeah. weightlifting and did more like you know. Yeah, it, it was sort of like he was he was Kurt Angle before. He, <laughs> yeah, he got of, really weird, yeah. even weirder, I should say. Um, and then he's crying with the belt and Oof. all that stuff. Yeah, that was not that's not a good look. That, so that, um, was, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but but um, but when I when I saw Lawler, yeah, I was just re- I it was confusing. I just didn't understand like how he how he was the heel and Bill Dundee was the baby face. Right. I'm like, well, Jerry Lawler seems like the hometown guy. Yeah. Like he should be the the baby face. But it, it it was such a foreign concept to me that that a company would build around like like when I found out that the uh his you know march to the title going through all the contenders to get to Jack Briscoe, that he was the heel. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just such a foreign concept to me growing up in such a baby face oriented uh area. But that but that was but that was designed though uh by the end of it he would be over and the fans would accept it. and then they they did do the uh yeah. the heel the first baby face or the first real baby face turn. Lawler had done a uh a deal where he tricked Jackie Fargo kind of did the Ole Anderson deal yeah. with uh with Dusty where he se- seemingly turned baby face to help Eddie Marlin against the interns and then when Eddie gets hurt uh he begs Fargo he's like you were my idol and you know, growing up, it's been my dream to tag with you, and I, I need you, you know, to to, to avenge Eddie Marlin. Mm-hmm. And then they get in there, and he, and he turns on turns him. Turns on so, so he was, he, Yeah, and then unfortunately, I, no uh, no video of that. And uh, I don't have audio of that yet. But you don't I'm, have audio I, of that? I was gonna I, ask. I, I'm still digging those on are, Those audio tapes are great. Yeah, some great stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping to have some more of that in the weeks to come. Well, I think uh, we've taped about two weeks' worth of shows here. Right, so, uh, John, thank you for joining us here on Stinking Rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll have to, uh, we'll have to uh, have dinner at uh, El Cody, and maybe, yes. who knows, maybe we'll see Mill Maskers, and we'll finally unmask the truth <laughs> in the back booth. Yes, <laughs> unmask the truth in the back booth, baby, in public, if you will. In public, if you will. We'll be right back with more Kentucky Fried Wrestling right after this. Raper off the rope. Oh, look out. You know who you're talking to right now? You know who you're talking to right now? The macho man, Randy Savage. And I ain't being under no longer, no. Four years, man. Where's Lawler? Get him out of here right now. Get him out of here right now. Get him out of here right now. You stand back. You stand back, man. Don't tell me nothing, man. Don't tell me nothing, man. Don't tell me nothing. I'm a world heavyweight champion. Four years, eight months, 13 days. Get the king out of here! Come on, get the king out of here right now! Get the king out of here right now! Don't tell me nothing, man! Don't tell me nothing! Why don't you just take it off? 
Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Our next guest is a guy who is an expert on ICW. He should be. He was one of the founding fathers. He has been called many things over the years in his illustrious career, and now he can add to that list co-author of a new book. He has actually written the book on pro wrestling. It's actually titled The Book on Pro Wrestling, Lessons from Rip Rogers. Who else could it be but the hustler himself? Welcome back to KFR, Hustler Rip oh, Rogers. Oh, fucking great to be here, Scott. I'm looking at my goddamn book right here. I got the fucking same fucking jacket I had on. I got for $3 <laughs> at a fucking warehouse at fucking Seymour. And it had like an A on the back of it. And it had a hole in the back, so it was damaged. So it cost 3 bucks. I got it in like 1996. And about three months ago, I lost a son of a bitch. I don't know if some of my class took that motherfucker because they're sick of seeing me wear it or fucking whatever it was but that some bitch is gone so so in other fuck. words you, you dressed up for the cover shot <laughs> well I, all of a sudden somebody took a picture and there it is and it's up there and i got my i got a monster factory t-shirt on i think yep uh, I, I can't fucking see that but yeah it is yep. uh-huh yep, yep. the free t-shirt the free t-shirt i got from danny cage there so i had the three dollar jacket and a fucking gimmick fucking monster factory factory motherfucking t-shirt and uh and the rest is fucking legendary. You, you, you almost look like a guy who would be in the front row at ICW back in 1981. <laughs> no, there wasn't any guys in the front row. It's just all fucking fat women, you know. <laughs> oh, I think I think I think I think 87 and a half percent of all women in their 20s are half ass attractive. 87 percent. 
The really? other thirteen percent, yeah, the other thirteen percent, they went to fucking ICW and sat in the front row. <laughs> well, to see the Macho Man and the Hustler Man and the One Man Game. Oh fuck yeah! They was they go in the women's bathroom and start beating it there. We fucking sold uh, fucking uh, things to fucking wipe up there, a lotion and shit, so they could they could do it there. They just go to the concession stand and get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I and mean, Memphis thought they had a concession stand brawl. Uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> But anyway, so tell me a little bit. Now, I I have uh, obviously closely followed uh, your career and also your comments on Twitter where you've become you've had this rebirth uh, for a whole new generation of fans, some of which think you're full of shit because they don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, but most of whom, if they grew up watching wrestling, they're like, amen, brother. And this seems to be a collection of some of, you know, just it's it, just from going through the book, fundamental stuff that's missing from the art of professional wrestling today. Would that be safe to say? Well, you got to remember, uh, uh, old style professional wrestling been around for how many goddamn years? And there was a system to what was right and what was wrong. Now, each little territory would be different like you do a little bit more amateur wrestling down in tampa with eddie graham uh uh you'd have longer ass fucking matches with Stu hard up in fucking calgary you would have the fucking uh uh blood the tennessee blood and guts which is hardcore before hardcore was hardcore and every little fucking territory had a little different different nuance so the whole thing about it is uh that's what professional wrestling was all of a sudden, Vince McMahon, who creates the fucking monster of WWF or WWE, whatever you want to call the son of a bitch, he's now the czar of wrestling. I used to call Randy the czar, the C, you know, CZAR, like the fucking boss and, or the king of fucking rush or whatever. So now all of a sudden, this guy's got worldwide television. Everything's built all around of him. He can take anybody off the street and make him his next fucking champion. He can make him his John Cena, his Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, whatever he fucking wants to do because he's the goddamn man. But in the meantime, he's taking stuff that he didn't like and just took it away from fucking wrestling because whoever wins the goddamn war, if goddamn Germany would have won World War II, uh, America would be a little bit different today. They can change history, change the rules, change the way things are looked at. So it's like WWE. You'll see nobody uh, pull them down by the har or pull them down by the trunks. They don't poke them in the eye. They don't jab them in the goddamn fucking throat. All the shit heels, uh, heels would do to get heat, they don't do that shit anymore. Yeah. Pretty much every match is the same with the same goddamn rhythm. You could watch three tag team matches that are basically the same fucking shit. Everybody walks the same. Everybody fucking talks the same. Interchangeable part. Nobody gets fucking over. But that's the WWE machine. Yeah, they and, kill and- the rest. They, they kill the wrestling business, but they sure as hell know how to make fucking money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah <laughs> I, it's it, it's it's really an incredible job of branding. Yes, to, it is to, to me. And, and uh, the the you know I, I've been to a couple of WWE shows uh, in the past. Uh, 10 years probably here in Los Angeles. And it seems like mm-hmm. to me, you know, they, the, the fans get there and they're excited, that, you know, once that first match starts and the entrance music hits. And then from then on, for most of the night, I get the feeling that most of them are like, why the fuck are, why, why the hell are we here? It's boring. Well, okay, here, you know what I mean? Yeah, here's what, 
Yeah, here's what happens. It's like you have to go to Memphis and every Monday goddamn fucking night, a school night, a work night, and there'd be thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, right? Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to Memphis twice a year and probably averaging what you guys average every fucking week, 52 times a year, and you go there twice. Because, A, they're going to go in that big market. They're going to go in that fucking television one time, and you'll be there six fucking hours. And then every fucking parent's going to hate going because their kid's going to make them buy all this shit, a school night, a fucking work night, and they want to, and they're worried about getting to sleep, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then some bitches are getting there at fucking uh, five o'clock to start the dark matches they're going to get out of there about fucking midnight and and so now uh now they've killed the town so wwe will come back next time six months later in a small building because they know everybody's pissed off the last tv show which they swore they'll never come back again but uh then come back uh give them another six months rest after this one they'll be back because that's the only show in town and that's all that fucking matters yeah, I it, it just I, but it really it really caught me off guard because I just I you know and I don't want to uh, I don't want to sound uh, like the you know the old guy saying get off my lawn uh, or get out of my ring or whatever, but I just rem- I do remember you know just from the op- even in the opening matches in Memphis uh, you know like a slow build an exchange of holds mm-hmm. yeah and then and then mm-hmm. and then after a few minutes then a high spot and then and then yeah. you know, and the, and then from that moment on you know they've pretty much got the audience hooked. And and then the, yeah. you know that might be a ten minute draw you know between two guys that are mm-hmm. on their way up to a stalemate and then the card would just slowly build naturally um, right nothing nothing happened till after the first break you know you bore them to death with fucking wrestling you give them fucking finishes underneath and then uh, later on the night like if you win with a goddamn fucking uh, sunset flip you can use that as a goddamn false finish in the main event and people go nuts. You can win with a goddamn backslide. You can hell. You can have five uh, five finishes in the middle underneath, and you just do nothing with wrestling. You don't go outside. You don't milk the fucking gimmick. Limit your fucking punches. There's no fucking juice. You never touch the goddamn ref, etc. Because you're establishing you're establishing wrestling. You're establishing establishing a headlock, an armbar, a goddamn hammerlock, a fucking slam. And then when then when the main eventers come out there, now we start giving a little bit of entertainment. But the people have already seen the fucking wrestling. Now they want to see some wrestling. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and you you brought up an interesting point, and you and I've talked about this before. Uh, obviously, I was a big Lawler fan, and his style. You know, easily the dirtiest babyface. Uh, over a long, the, over a long, the longest period of time uh, in any territory in history. I mean, not too many baby faces throwing fire on a regular basis. But uh, primarily, you and I were talking about his punches uh, that are generally regarded as the best in the business. And to, and you now wait a minute now, well, now well, wait a minute well, now. Well. <laughs> he's got he's he's got a great he's got a great punch, but he ain't got no right hand like Lanny Popo. I, I was Lanny gonna Popo's got the best goddamn right hand in the fucking business. Okay, now I and was. Fucking, I, <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna get off. No, Lawler's punches are good, but Landy's are the fucking best. Well, all uh, he did, all he did was not, all he did was not have the fucking push. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. So which, now, which well, yeah, you know, he had, he, had a, he had a decent push in Memphis. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I watched goddamn Lawler punch Buddy Landale sixty times in the face, in a corner. Yeah, and yeah. And a mark on it. Yeah, that's what that, that's what I was getting to. That's I, I was getting yeah. to all this. I promise you, I was gonna I was going to say that uh, now 
while Lawler is generally regarded as having the best punch, I was I was going because you 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 mentioned to me uh, about yeah. Lanny's punches, and I have to admit I never paid much attention to that aspect because you know what he didn't do a lot of it. So when he did throw a punch, it mattered, and to me, yeah, we, you know, that was a bit of psychology that maybe Lawler uh, was 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 missing, uh, but was able to get away with it somehow because I think with Lawler, his way of thinking was. You know, if you're in a really heated issue, and and God knows that in Memphis, most ma- most things were centered around very personal issues, very hot feuds. Yeah. Why would you armbar the guy when you can punch him? And I think that that was the main thought process. I know that's why he never liked. Uh, he hated Flair. He hated working with Flair. Uh, mm-hmm. He hated Flair's chops. And yeah. he, thought, he thought they were ridiculous because why chop a guy when you can punch him? But right. I think equally as effective and even more frustrating is when a heel is throwing those uh, those broad arms because it's legal. Uh, and they look, or the, you know, the broad arms and the forearms, there's, especially mm-hmm. Dory Funk Jr., you know, with, with, yeah. with, with, and Billy Robinson would throw those, you the know. European those, uppercut. Yes. Okay, yeah, you got to remember. You got to remember. Now. You you were brought up on hillbilly wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, you got to remember, Billy Robinson. If you watch old world of sports, see hitting with a closed fist is is uh is is a DQ. Mm. So they would hit him with the European uppercuts. They were the forearms and shit, right? Yeah. Then the heel would sneak one in with a headlock punch, and the guy get counted out with a ten count, a knockout. Yeah. They treated their punches as gold. And, and maybe that's what and, it was, and maybe that's why Lanny doesn't get the credit he deserves because he oh, he knew that when he did throw when he did when a wrestling match escalated into uh, a, a slowly escalated into a brawl when he did throw that punch the place would pop like crazy because he didn't do a lot of it. Yeah, because we what we did was you go into a jab sequence when you hit him with that big fucking right it better goddamn mean something. You don't hit him with thirty fucking rights. You would take that fucking bump and sell and back and holy shit. You, uh, ICW, you made a punch mean something. Yeah. And, you made and, a punch uh, fucking mean something. I was, I was uh, listening to uh, Ron Fuller's stud cast and he brought up, uh-huh. he brought up Dory Jr. And he, he, and the way he was speaking, I guess he was assuming that maybe he had, a, that there were some younger fans listening who were true. And there are, there are a lot, I, I have to say, there are a lot of younger fans. And I say younger because I'm in, I'm 47. Uh, I'm saying like guys who maybe are like 30 or so, uh, who, uh-huh. you know, were, were not around. And, and but they, you know, but they're getting a little older. They don't like WWE and they're looking around on YouTube and there's so much great stuff and they're, and they really get into it and they want to, they, and, and they're trying to learn about it, uh, which I uh-huh. guess is where, you know, it's kind of a nice niche where your book comes in and helps uh, break that down a little bit. But, uh, you know, they, uh, he, he was saying that Dory Funk Jr., uh, even though you know when he would defend the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, he was a heel, but he would get yeah. more heat with that uh, European uh, uppercut with that forearm because mm-hmm. it was legal. 
And and he goes, some of you may not understand that. I, d- I, mean, I, I, I knew exactly what he meant because I was watching that and he had Lawler, it, it, whether Lawler had a chance, you know, Lawler could sell beautifully anyway. But I don't know if he had a I don't know if he had a choice in the matter on these uppercuts because they look fantastic and Lance is even calling it like and there's not a thing Calhoun can do about it because it's perfectly legal. So yeah, I mean that's why you have rules in wrestling is because that's like the Bill Watts everybody oh you they shit over over the top DQ they shit off going over the top ropes you got to have fucking rules in anything if you don't have no rules you can't cheat that's like ECW. When they had no fucking rules. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in other words, there's no good guy, bad guy. Yeah. It's fucking horse shit. Hey, hey, Rip, hang on just a second. I, uh, my wife uh, just uh, needs me for something real quick. And don't don't go somewhere dirty with that. Hang on just a second. Okay, I could have, but I did. <laughs> What's up, babe? All right. Sorry about that, man. Okay. You got to remember the most important thing is here's the plug the book and to get it right now at amazon.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, uh, I, okay. So I just talked about Dory Funk. I'm trying to, uh, okay. So, so why don't, uh, when, uh, when we, when we pick it back up here, just say, say, and that's what I try to stress in my book, which is available now on Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. okay. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, here we go. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, uh, and again, I think that that's, that's one of the things that that's covered in your book. So, and, and when I look at your book and, and I'm thumbing through, it's like, to me, it's just so obvious and just so fundamental. Uh, just the little things like, uh, Nick Bockwinkle would, would, I think, Lawler's best matches, in my opinion, were not with Terry Funk, were not with Bill Dundee, because those were largely slugfest. I loved it when Bockwinkle would come in, because Bockwinkle would kind of, you know, arrogantly challenge him to wrestle, or he would lock up Lawler's, get a hammer lock on him, and, and keep going back to. I, I saw a match of theirs. It was on January first, nineteen eighty four, because it was a rare Sunday show, and all my friends got and I got to go. And he had a hammerlock on Lawler where Lawler was not in a position to throw his fist for about 25 minutes. And then when Lawler would rise to his feet, the referee would be out of position. He'd do a little yank of the hair <laughs> and get him mm-hmm. right back in it. But when he finally yeah. got, you know, pulled the strap and was able to throw that first punch, that place went bananas. Uh, oh, yeah. 
And tell me a little now that your book uh, now it is the book on pro wrestling, which again I just love the title because uh, I think a time or two I've heard you say you know I wrote the book on pro wrestling and now you literally have with a little help from uh, Caleb Hall who has basically taken a collection of your tweet wisdom over the years and kind of condensed it into one package. Uh, can you tell me some of the other little things that are missing from today's? art of pro wrestling and uh and and you know some things that stand out to you when watching the product today where you just shake your head and just say man fuck what's going on well you could watch a you could watch a program today and uh there wouldn't be a headlock takeover <laughs> there wouldn't there wouldn't be a goddamn hammerlock nobody would work a leg it's so fucking simple nobody would work a neck nobody would work a stomach Nobody would work a, a goddamn back as a goddamn baby faces with holes and shit. I don't think they fucking know how. And and, so it's, all, and some of that is just you remember. some of that's education, right? I mean, I I remember didn't Roop. Uh, uh, it was a move that might seem fairly basic, but the way he delivered it and the way the guy would sell it, they got it like a shoulder breaker. That was just devastating. Uh, I know the Andersons, you know, would always work. Uh, you know, they'd pick a body part, typically like, uh, you know, the arm and do do the hammer. Lock. Okay. Now, now, now what you're thinking here, when you're talking about the Andersons, you're talking about quick tags in and out, focusing and localizing on a, on a certain body part, right? That's yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, but the gimmick is, is them motherfuckers just stayed on the arm. They didn't go the fucking leg. They didn't go the neck. They didn't go the stomach. They didn't go the goddamn back. It was always the fucking arm. I said, Jesus Christ, don't you guys know more than that? Motherfucker. <laughs> well, but my, <laughs> I guess my point in a way was, was by and large, that would be perfectly legal because it, they would be tagging in and out. Now, occasionally, maybe a ref, the ref would miss uh, a, 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 you know, a blind tag or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, I, I guess my point is, like, just little things, like basically Bockwinkle in that match I was mentioning with Lawler and in several of the mm -hmm. Lawler-Bockwinkle matches, he would be out wrestling Lawler and mm -hmm. he, and you and basically obeying the rules perfectly but then when Lawler started making That's his right. comeback he would do that little mm -hmm. heel thing to to regain the advantage and that's what would just make the fans come unglued they you know they think yeah. that it has to be something very overt for a heel to get heat when really it's those subtle little tricks that uh, that you oh, never no. that, uh, you never see anymore no, that's like, I remember one time I was wrestling in Montgomery, Alabama, working somebody, made a big speech. I would not do anything illegal. And I'd bet everybody there five bucks I'd win this goddamn match or whatever, right? So I, I wrestle clean as a goddamn baby face, and, I, and I'm doing good. But then he comes out on top, whatever, blah, blah, blah. The finish is I hit him with a forearm in the fucking jaw with a legal fucking forearm knocks him silly mm -hmm. it's the only strike of the match he gets counted one two three he lays there still selling like he's fucking knocked out one forearm and all these women are coming up screaming he hit him with a forearm <laughs> it's legal right and before that there was probably 50 fucking punches 100 punches the match right after that right and we have these people near a fucking riot because a guy sold Right. 
Right. Now, wait a minute. And, did, and, but did, did you at least hit him with the forearm maybe coming off the ropes? Like, like, like you were. Oh, uh, he, no. Okay. He broke, right. clean, he broke clean at the fucking rope, right? Uh-huh. Looked at the fucking ref and I clocked him. Boom. Well, well, okay. So, so maybe you did take a little bit of advantage, but 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 still perfectly legal. Yeah, but I can't help it if he's if if his guard's not up. Right. I can't help that. Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that, and that's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I mean, it's it's a it's a different way of of getting heat, and and actually can be far more effective. Uh, right. I mean, what when, is, when what, you go to a ta- when you go to a town every week, you got to be able to go. Well, you can't go out there doing the same shit. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that's a big problem too with God, you know, like, uh, at least the rock, you know, he, when I, when I was working with him in 96 in Memphis, you know, he, he was only there a few months, but at uh-huh. least he, or maybe four months or so, but at least he had that experience of going to the same town every week, you know, where you, you had to change it up and you had to do new things and you had to think on your feet and, and kind of, you couldn't go and do the same thing, uh, well, night it, after night. Yeah. It's like when, uh, you always had your book with you, right? And let's say you was in Memphis every Monday night. So if, if in your match, you, you basically put down what the finish was and what you did. Okay, I did a I did a headlock fucking routine and I got heat on his fucking leg. You know what I mean? I yeah. use this as false finishes, blah, blah, blah. All then you gotta do is in the next week you put it in next Monday, you write everything down. So now you're looking at every Monday night, you're seeing what you did in Memphis. You're looking every day on Tuesday night in Louisville and see what you did on Tuesday. You're looking at Evansville and see what you did on goddamn Wednesdays, right? You're looking at Nashville and seeing what you did on the fucking Saturday night. So now you're looking at all this shit you've done, and it's in your goddamn book right there. Yeah. All you yeah. got, all you got to do is is thumb through it. And I said, "Well, the hell, they ain't seen this routine in goddamn twelve weeks. Let's do it." Well, and I love the fact too that you could also bring a couple of guys back based on just a little bit of uh, rules infringement. To where you know if a guy would just put us you know maybe he had wrestled clean the entire match, but then he puts he gets his feet on the ropes for leverage. Okay, well next week you come back, he got two referees, one inside, one outside. You know, and it keeps sort of building a little bit um, to where you know there are consequences, even though you know the heel cheated and did this little thing to win. So now the the babyface gets the rematch next week. There won't be any of these shenanigans because it'll either be another referee or a cage or whatever. Or if it you know if a guy has pulled a chain or whatever, then okay, motherfucker, let's come back in a in a Texas death match and and see how we go. But there you know, but it would it would slowly these finishes would lead to rematches with different gimmicks, especially in a territory like Memphis. Yeah, you got to have. When you have the weekly towns, it's got to be storytelling. You'll have like uh, four or five programs going on uh, between the underneath guys and the main eventers, et cetera, but there'll be subtle ones underneath. It's like, you know, like the first time uh, me and you work, we go through 15 minutes. Next week, we have the 15 minute time or the 20 minute time that we go through again. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, the heel beats the baby face with the fucking feet on the rope. The next week, the babyface beats the heel with the heat on the rope. Now they want two fucking referees, right? Yeah. And now we're in, now we're into week fucking five, you know. And yeah. then the manager, you know, and then the manager gets involved, and then they bring in somebody. This guy's 
little brother to be the manager to the counteract the manager. And now all of a sudden they went fucking 10 weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, but, it, but it's little subtle shit, one thing at a time and to keep the store, keep the, uh, keep the store going. Yeah. It, it, and it's almost like, uh, especially like if, uh, a guy was in pursuit of like a championship, you know, like a baby face mm-hmm. and the rule. And so the mat, so the, the heel keeps either going to a draw or doing, or, you know, uh, there's a count out or things like that that could possibly lead to a cage match. But my point is though, that when you, ca- when you came back with that different match with a stipulation or a concept that seemed to be the answer to counteract uh-huh. what that heel is doing, the fans think, yeah. okay, now he's got him. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, I, one of the, what I can, you know, again, I, I keep going back to Lawler and Bachwinkle. Uh, the match where, uh, Lawler, where Bachwinkle kept doing the hammerlock and Lawler, I mean, the entire match, Lawler could not throw a punch. And then, Finally, after I mean, and they they went forty two minutes, which was was a, uh-huh. a little long for Lawler. Uh, he t- typically would kind of keep it about fifteen twenty minutes, but he could certainly go longer. Uh, but they wanted that slow build, and when he finally got those punches in, he went absolutely crazy and punched Bachwinkle. You would have probably <laughs> thrown up because he he punched Bachwinkle about twenty straight times, and then he hit the referee and the whole thing. Uh, Bachwinkle comes back and goes. He goes, I come here to put the world championship, the world wrestling championship on the line, and you can't wrestle, sir. You are you can yeah. you're a tough son of a gun. I'll give you that with a right hand. How about we do this? Each punch is gonna cost you five hundred dollars. You know, how much does it yeah, mean I- to you? Can you go in there and wrestle or can you is it worth you know, spending ten grand to get this world's heavyweight championship? And and Lawler comes out and explains he's got ten grand, so that gives him so many different punches. And the but the beauty of it is, right at the get go, Bachwinkle takes his right hand, slams it against the ring post. So now mm-hmm. Lawler's got a limited amount of punches because of the the, mm-hmm. the you know the five hundred dollar stipulation, and he can only throw lefts and not the right. Yeah, it's awesome. J- just yeah, just like and man, just incredible heat. Yeah, that's just great psychology. Uh, now what, what are some other little nuances that you stress, uh, in the book that may not seem, uh, important to a, a younger fan, but to an older guy like me, I got, it makes perfect sense. Well, it's like, uh, if I hit you with a chair and I don't beat you, then that chair didn't mean nothing, did it? <laughs> don't, don't even get me started about sledgehammers. Yeah. That, that's just like a, that's just like a the big move a big move is not a big move unless you beat somebody with it so nowadays everybody wants to, oh they have to have 52 false finishes and everyone's at a 2.9 count for no fucking reason because they don't know how to work yeah and then they do that extreme close-up where the guy's just shocked that somebody kicked out of his finish and it's it just it's well, so, it's so it's just so overdone Oh, well, if if everybody gives the old, oh, my God, I can't believe he kicked out of this. That's every fucking every fucking cover. Right. You know. Right. Well, so I, 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 and there's there are ways. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rip. I mean, you know, I I, w- I was in the ring, but, uh, you know, mostly with women. 
<laughs> and uh, or, or if you know if I did have a match, it was uh, I was usually kept out of most of it. Uh, but uh-huh. I, I, you know, I, but I've watched it my whole life, and I just I think I have a pretty good idea of of, of what works and 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 what doesn't. Um, uh, I can't I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> oh shit. Well, here's the here's the thing. Yeah, we're gonna have to edit that. Um, Here's the thing, guys. Say, well, I watch film. I said, honey, motherfucker, it don't matter what you watch because you don't know what you're looking for. Mm. You gotta have an old motherfucker. You gotta have a football coach explaining this shit to you. You just can't say, oh, look at that cool move I did in basketball. Look at my pass. Look at my goddamn slider. Look at my fucking uh, me running eight hundred fucking meters. Look at my goddamn cripple jump. Look at my fucking drive uh, 300 yards down the fucking middle. You know, I mean, no matter what it fucking is, you can watch everything you want. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it don't mean it don't mean anything, does it? Now, is is that what's missing from, uh, you know, because back in the, you know, I say even that if I say the old days, because I know that Steve Austin didn't have a clue until he came to Memphis and Dutch Mantell who kind of did that lone wolf gimmick. He was really kind of Steve Austin before there was a stone cold, uh, took him under his wing. And then they would, you know, Dutch would make him watch every match. And then they would ride together, you know, to the next town. So he could explain to Steve what he was looking for. Uh, seems like the agent, and I know they have a lot of veterans in, in the agent role, there's only so much that an agent can do, uh, given how WWE travels nowadays. But do you think that that has a hand in it too? That there aren't the old timers that can not not even old timers, but guys who have just been seasoned that can take a okay, young guy well, and go on the road with him to the next town and explain the basics. Okay, look at look at it this way now. I'm in the goddamn car, and I'm in the car with Ronnie Garvin. Let's say I'm in there with fucking Professor Boris Malenko. I'm in there with fucking Randy and his fucking dad or whatever. I'm in there with Bob Orton fucking Jr. or Bob Orton Jr.'s fucking father, right? So now all these motherfuckers, I'm just going to shut the fuck up and listen to these motherfuckers, and they can goddamn help me because they're all telling me the same shit, maybe just in a little different fucking language and stuff. Because there were certain things what you did and certain things you didn't do because you'd shit on the fucking business or possibly kill the fucking town or make something so it didn't goddamn mean something. But fucking guys today, they don't fucking know. You got to remember, there ain't veterans anymore. Today's veterans are guys that fucking get signed, work fucking indie shows, which you're trying to work eight a goddamn month where we'd work fucking at least 30 fucking shows a month. And I'm when I'm 22, I'm working with guys that are 40, and they're teaching me. They're working what I call kindergarten wrestlers with more kindergarten wrestlers. Who in the fuck? They got this idiot that's worked 10 years. He's had 22 matches. The other idiot, he's had 20 years experience, and he's had 42 matches against some other guy that ain't fucking, that don't know how to fucking work. How in the fuck are they supposed to goddamn fucking learn? Yeah. You understand that now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and actually, I do remember the point now I was trying to make earlier for that massive okay. fucking brain fart. Um, there was a uh, Stan Hansen uh, is a guy who immediately uh, comes to mind, especially his work in Japan. There was there was always a way to protect a guy's finisher. 
Um, and he, he protected that lariat very well. And I, I, you know, I, I remember, I can't remember who he put over, uh, but he kept trying to hit the lariat and, and, and just uh-huh. the guy did some clever things to avoid it as if he had been studying it and it, you know, and it figured out how, you know, and then I think, you know, he, the, the guy ducks and he, and he, and he lariat's the fucking referee, right? So the referee's uh-huh. out. So by the time the referee recovers and Hanson's got him pinned, the guy kicks out. So the 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 finish is 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 guarded. It's 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 protective. Hanson probably could have won the match if he had hit the lariat, uh, and the referee were, were conscious instead of a guy doing his 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 finisher and the guy just kicking out. You know what I mean? There, there were like little nuances to, you know, Lawler had so many guys up for a pile driver and then they would do something to kind of worm their way out of it. Uh, or they right. would grab the ropes or something like that. If only Lawler could. And plus, too, that's an, I think that's a perfect example. And I know I, you probably hate that I keep going back to Lawler. But the fact that the pile driver was the only hold that was barred in the, no, in the, in the state of Tennessee. That's, uh, that's that, where it's supposed to be. Yeah. It, we it, got. We gotta we, we gotta respect our rules. We gotta respect tradition. Hell, one time I was working with Paul, Robert Fuller, and he put me up for a pile driver and gave me one. Fucking three minutes into the match. So I, what did I do? I just laid there. I just laid there and took the fall. He goes, "That wasn't the finish." I said, "Well, you pile driving, you <laughs> motherfucker. The fuck am I supposed to do?" Oh my I god! Respect this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I said, and it, it's like Dick the Bruiser told me. Bruiser don't cover you unless it's finished. <laughs> right. It's pretty. It's pretty simple. <laughs> no, whatever my fi- hey, never in my life did anybody. Whatever my finish was, I never give it to anybody unless it caught the fall. Yeah, and that's why the that's why the end up that's when you'd have the two out of three fall matches that were so fucking good because I'd work you. Let's say I did a Boston Crab. I beat you with my finish. You did a fucking sleeper. You put me out. Now it's one-to-one, and people saw you win with those finishers, right? Mm-hmm. Then they meant something. You know what I mean? That'd be like, oh, Jake the Snake. Oh, yeah, every time Jake the Snake. Oh, no, no, no that's not a finish anymore. Yeah. Well, it is when Jake the Snake. It is when Jake hits you with it. If not, then he don't fucking do it to you. Get fucking real. Oh man, it, I mean, it that really bugged the shit out of me when when got like I remember I and I love Eddie Gilbert to death, but uh, he started doing a version of the DDT and and it and, and you know it didn't look good, it didn't finish the guy off when when Jake did it. I mean, he just planted the guy, and you just knew yeah. he was done. I, oh, dude, another great example. Uh, Jake at the, you know, at the, t- they had just, you know, he had been one of those guys who the fans were just really dying to cheer for. They had finally turned him baby face in mid South. The DDT was mm-hmm. over like crazy, probably in its prime as a, as a finishing mm-hmm. maneuver for Jake. And he gets a world title shot with flair and they're doing mm-hmm. the introductions and flair like slaps him. Jake mm-hmm. hits the DDT flares out, but the bell hasn't rung yet. <laughs> Awesome. Which is just That's great. Awesome. Oh, I, I, man, man, oh man! If only the bell had sounded, the match would have been over in you know three or four seconds. Yeah. That's fucking lovely. That's uh, that, that that's uh, what are what were some of your uh favorite go to finishes that you knew 
would would get heat and get the crowd riled up enough to come back. Because you're right, because you're going to the same towns every week that would get them hooked to come back the next week. Okay, and I know, first of all, okay, now this is a big thing now, Scott. Is you picking a finish? Because you got to be able to give it to Sky Lolo or Andre the Giant with no danger of you or him getting hurt, right? So now that limits it, doesn't it? Now, I mean, you're, uh, uh, there's nothing worse than a fucking girls' match when they ain't worth a shit and they're throwing clotheslines. They got an eight-inch arm, right? <laughs> right. So you got, yeah. So you got to be able to fucking adapt and make it half-ass fucking believable. I remember I was in goddamn Puerto Rico, and uh, uh, Leo Burke come in. Leo le- uses sleepers whole fucking life. I said, "No, Leo." Uh, is where he's, uh, that's Savio Vega. He's got the Cobra sleeper and we're not working a goddamn sleeper versus sleeper gimmick. So you're the, now the master, of the figure four leg lock. <laughs> Leo had Leo's knees were bigger than his goddamn quads. And he said, well, how do you put that son of a bitch on? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. But, but, I mean, we can't have, you know, I mean, if, if two guys use a DDT, you eventually work up the DDT. Fuck, I remember I was doing fucking TV, and I had two guys. They were tag team partners, and they were the masters of the sunset flip or the double-leg crucifix, you'd call it, if he was from England. And they would argue over who was going to get the pin because their, their sunset flip was better than the other one. The other one might hit it, and the other guy would pull him off because he wanted to hit it. Oh, it's funnier than shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the first time I saw... Um, Adrian, the, the, uh, the bridge, the bridge pen, it was, and it was Adrian street, Adrian street's London bridge. I'd never yeah. seen that. I thought, Hey man, that's, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's something pretty basic, but, uh, but it, Adrian street also instantly got over, uh, I, I'll, you know, uh, you gotta think, you know, this is like, uh, 1982 Memphis, the South, he's in there with Ira Reese. And uh, uh-huh. he 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 lays a big smooch on him. Uh-huh. That's uh, that's gonna get some heat in Memphis for sure. Yeah, I worked with Adrian twenty six weeks in a row. Oh my gosh! Now I've I've heard he's he's one of the toughest I, sons of bitches around. Well, uh, that's what I heard too. But uh, we had the most beautiful chemistry we'd ever. I, I, he said I was the best guy from the states he ever worked with. Wow. And then we worked everything except two spot shows against each other, but everything was different. And, and we never planned anything. We just played off each other. And it was, it was, it was, and once I, I did it for Fuller and Continental. Right. And when I was done with him, I just left because I couldn't artistically follow it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just so fucking good. I come in there shot the angle the very first night i come in uh slapped his valet they got into it blah 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 and 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 we was off and fucking running i I I went six months i I went six months with him i think he's one of the the best characters uh, of all time you know with the and the music video with him actually singing that that you know the the London uh, punk rock sound, and, and it's actually a pretty uh-huh. good damn song. Um, I just think I just yeah, thought, he, I thought he was remarkable. Yeah, he he wrote all that shit himself. Yeah, no, I know, I, and, and it's great. It's a great. It's and, it's and I, he made all he made all those costumes himself. Did he? 
Yeah, he used to go out and he would go out and buy generic wrestling dolls and he'd make stuff up of me and he'd sell them and he'd give me the money. Oh, wow. When we would do stuff, he he would make shit. He would have signs and I'd tear them up, right? And they'd all go buy more and shit, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, (laughs) he's... Uh, I've, I've tried to get him on KFR. I actually, uh, reached out to him recently. So, so I hope to do that. Uh, and I remember I posted something about Adrian and, and Cornette, I think maybe just a picture of them and some, some jackass, some backwoods idiot posted, uh, Jim, I'm a little surprised that, that, you know, you would associate, you know, he stoops so low to associate with a, with a character like that. And the cornet just let him have it and said, character, he said, that guy would, if you, if you insulted him or did some kind any, uttered any kind of gay slur, he'd rip your dick mm-hmm. off and beat the shit out of you with it. <laughs> uh, hey, you remember, you remember Global with Joe Pettacino? Yeah. Okay. When the very first night in Dallas, the main event was me against Adrian the very first global show they ever had there was, uh, we worked against each other. Uh, and then I, I was up in his room all night and he was drinking and he was just telling me how he got into fucking business and how he was kid Tarzan Jonathan, how he did all this shit in England and finally moved to States when he was fucking, you know, about 40 something or something like that, you know? So he, we went to the whole fucking thing going with that as this fucking, as this fucking awesome. He was just so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. He, I didn't know he was that old when, when he came to the States. Yeah. He's about 77 now, I think. And he, and he it, just and moved, still looks pretty damn he good. Just moved back. Yeah. He just moved back. Okay. Uh, yeah. He, and, and, and it's a shame really. I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know. Cause it, you know, obviously Adrian Adonis blatantly ripped off the gimmick, but not even, I mean, he, I, he could have been a huge, huge star, uh, had he wanted well, to do it. I don't know. Well, they had, they had, they had him teaching Rico Constantino. Yeah. I, yeah. And they were, and I guess Rico uh-huh. Starr had done the gimmick effectively. Yeah. Hey, this to help rib. My football coach was Joe Siminski. He wrestled and played football at fucking Purdue. He was on the wrestling team. He was the heavyweight, and Ricky Starr was the goddamn 165-pounder. And he sparred with Ricky Starr because Ricky Starr, he beat all the other big guys. Yeah. You know, Ricky, that you know, that wasn't his real name. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. but he made all his money in goddamn uh, pretty much in Europe and shit. But but he did the same kind of effeminate gimmick, right? Yeah, but basically he's, he he had the ballerina slippers on and shit. But but Adrian was so fucking over the fucking top. Yeah, with everything, you know, the fucking lip, the lipstick, the fucking kissing, the long ass hair, and the fucking ponytail, the fucking pigtails, uh, all the every everything he had was he, he was just total gimmick you but, know but, what i mean but then he would but then he would when uh and he would he would do you know mat wrestling too but then when he had the opportunity he would like just get this suddenly have this sadistic look where he just gouge a person's eyes you know? oh yeah <laughs> and, oh it, it was it was so funny when he 
they turned him babyface. He made the save on Bob Armstrong. He beat up all the heels with a with a purse. <laughs> he was a oh, it was just fucking awesome. Oh. And when they hate you so much as a heel, when you turn babyface, they love you so fucking much. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay, really quickly, I, I and I want to I want to talk a little because we talked about earlier one of, one of my most memorable memorable nights as a fan at the Mid South Coliseum. Uh, December 5th, which we, I guess we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of it. Um, ICW had, had long since, uh, closed up shop and I, I believe it was, uh, Jerry Jarrett who reached out to Randy and Randy seemed genuinely humbled. And, and this is the way Jarrett tells it. Uh, no, Ra- Randy reached out to Jarrett. Okay. Well, uh, okay. But, 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 yeah. but at any rate, but Jarrett was definitely open to it yeah. because he, he to- yeah. and, and said something to the effect of Randy, you have done such a, an incredible job of building anticipation for a match between you Lawler better than I ever could. So of course yeah. I want to do something. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, uh, you know, I look at it, uh, and a lot of people think because most of the territory saw the debut of Savage as it should have been done. He stormed the studio, you know, he invaded the, stu- uh. he invaded the, t- the, the TV studio and it was kind of the out an outsider and Lance and Dave were going crazy and they're trying to throw him out. That's uh, an yeah, that, that that is a hell of an angle, and that and and they drew very very well in uh, in Kentucky with it, especially. However, he actually debuted the week before in Memphis. You know, in Memphis, uh, he was not in the studio, but they had just started this deal with Lawler where they were trying to resurrect the uh, the quest for the title program that got Lawler over initially in 74, where they were going to bring uh-huh. in all the AWA top 10. Yeah. And they brought in, you know, I think Ventura, uh, Ken Patera. And then suddenly this, this line of communication finally started unexpectedly between Jarrett and Savage. And so they brought him in as the number seven AWA contender that Lawler had to face. And uh-huh. I just think that that took, the edge off of it a bit in Memphis, you know, because it, it wasn't Savage coming in like he just had enough. He, Lawler's been ducking him. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they drew eight, you know, 8,500 fans. I was one of them along with my uncle Robert. God bless him. He gave me an early birthday, get, early uh, Christmas gift and mm-hmm. took me. But man, also on the same show, the debut of the Road Warriors. I mean, against the fabulous ones. What I mean, what what a loaded show that was. Uh, but man, the 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 and and the 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 heat for the Lawler Savage match was just unbelievable. And and Savage was no selling Lawler's punches like he was just on like he was on something. And the crowd was just going absolutely ballistic. And it's a shame because I don't I don't think that 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 match is in circulation much. But it's sort of been lost in to history that. They brought him in as just another guy, as a as just the num- you know the next guy on the list that Lawler had to face, and the rematch between those two, in a did not draw well in Memphis. The program and mm-hmm. like it, it really kind of puttered out, and I and I personally just think it was it was because it didn't have that usual Memphis personal deal to it. Even though a lot of fans were aware of the history of Savage mm-hmm. cutting these shoot promos. 
Um, to bring him in has just an, another contender for Lawler to face. I think it sort of uh, diluted his uh, first appearance. Uh, they should have had something else going on. He should have fucking stormed that goddamn fucking whatever. They should have fucking had that son of a bitch arrested. A fucking uh, right. uh, uh, the no trespass thing, blah, blah, blah. Him gone for six weeks and then telling that fucking story, shoving it. Okay, you had the Road Warriors this week, right? And you got something, blah, blah, blah. But about six weeks of plugging that son of a bitch, then they finally fucking touch. Jesus fucking Christ. You bring that fucking lawyer in to do this and that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That motherfucker, I'd been fucking turn away goddamn fucking business. Yeah. Yeah. And by, cause by the third week they did, I think they did a tag match with Lawler. Uh, yeah. Lawler and idol against Laduke and Savage. And that should have uh-huh. been, that should have been money and 3000 fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, and I do think it's because of, of the way he was introduced in Memphis. Now, Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people, like he even, like, you know, I was reading Meltzer, he debuted in Memphis storming the studio. No, he did that the following week, which really made no sense because he had already wrestled for the promotion. You know what I mean? Well, you got to remember, Randy's Randy. He's a ticking time bomb. Jared's saying, okay, I can't make long range plans because he's fucking Randy. You know what I mean? I got you. So he's thinking, if I can get a house, and then I'll try, and then I'll go from there. Okay. I'm not going to lay out like I'm working 10 weeks. I'm not working fucking uh, Lawler against fucking Ron Fuller for 10 fucking weeks. You know what I mean? Because you know what you're getting. And then Randy's, the, he's got the it factor, but he's got the fucking crazy factor too. Yeah. The you it factor, I mean? the, it, the it factor, but also the if factor. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so he could either fucking just put this motherfucking place on fire or he could fucking kill it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you you just don't know. And Lawler was uh, obviously a little hesitant and insisted, insisted on on an, on an apology beforehand. Yeah. And they talked it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, I told, I told you the time I was driving somewhere and Randy said, pull over. And I pulled over and he threw a brick through Lawler's window. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he, I know he cut the promo in Lawler's front yard while Lawler was going to Louisville or something. <laughs> I just remember while I was driving, we was coming from somewhere and he said, pull over. I said, oh, okay. Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden, about five minutes later, he comes back. He says, hurry up. Let's get out of here. I said, what's the matter? He goes, I just threw a Lawler, a brick through Lawler's window. I said, what the fuck? What the hell's the matter with you? You fucking nut. You know, <laughs> it's like fucking, uh, it's like fucking Barney Fife getting on Ernest T. Bath, you know? Right, right. You fucking nut, you know? <laughs> oh, threw a brick through his window. I said, holy fuck, what the fuck's the matter with you? God damn, you know? And, and you've explained to me a little bit, because you, you and I talked before, you know, ideally, I think what would have been, I mean, it, this this could have been just a year long feud of huge oh, yeah. houses. If if because you guys were already doing it, you guys were already showing up to like like Rupp Arena and taking up the seats on the front row, and you know some of what was later. Uh, I don't even know if anybody ever saw that stuff or was aware of it, but kind of what got the NWO over. If, yeah. Uh-huh. If, if 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 Jared could have arranged it where you Pez, 
uh, Orton Jr., Garvin. Oh my gosh, the money that they could have drawn had they done the the whole invasion thing would have would have just been phenomenal. Uh, on paper, on paper, it would seem that way, but I guess you never know, though, would you? Well, did, did, did the, now did you talk to them about coming in around the same time? Didn't you? Who's that? Didn't you? Didn't Savage try to try to get you in around the same time? I no, fucking no, no. Me no. and Randy didn't. We didn't leave on good terms. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know that. What? What? Now, why not? Yeah. Really? What I think. Randy liked my first wife. Uh-oh. He didn't like him. Yeah. Never had a problem with him until that. He went. In, he went in the. Uh, he went in the tit bar where she worked. Discovered her. Put him on TV as his valet or whatever. Brenda, Br- are you talking about Brenda? It. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up moving in with me. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and me, I'm too like. At the time, I'm sort of I'm real naive, you know. Well, man, you, but, don't, let, you, know, you don't let a chick come between bros, you know. Well, uh, shit, they have fucking wars over a woman, right? Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. And guys, fucking guys, shoot and kill each other over a fucking woman. Well, you know, but let's okay, but let's just say, for instance, that it did work out with Savage and, and Brenda. There's there's no way she's going to continue working at the strip joint because Savage would be there every night threatening to kill anybody yeah. if she got right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's just, let's just say let's just say Randy was a little bit possessive. You know? Now, yeah, yeah, I've heard like gosh, just you uh, know. Hey, I remember I remember uh he had a when I first met him in the Maritimes, he had this girlfriend Charlene. And he says and and I was dancing somewhere. He says, what's that? I said, that's called the Fort Lauderdale Shuffle. He goes, can you show me how to do that? I said, yeah. He said, can you show Charlene how to do it? I said, okay. So I started doing it. Her. He goes, well, he got all upset because I was touching her. <laughs> I said, well, Randy, I have to touch her if you're going to do this. I don't know. You know what I mean? I said, holy shit. I see where this is fucking going. Fuck you. You know, you're just wanting to fucking uh, fuck that. You're fucking nuts. You know. Well, I wonder where the, I, it, I wonder where that insecurity came from. I had well, it's probably. Uh, I mem- remember the girl he he uh, he eventually married. Uh, uh, God damn it, the one he was married yeah. to at the end, Lynn, Lynn. Yeah. He he always talked about Lynn when he was a baseball player, and she just knew him as Randy and not as a wrestler, right? And I talked him into going down to Chattanooga and he tried to fucking, you know, but she was married to some guy named Pete that owned a paint store. And he said, no, she said, no, Randy, I'm married to Pete. And then I guess they eventually, him and her and Pete got eventually divorced and Randy hooked up with her. And I guess he was happier than he ever was again. So what the fuck, right? Hmm. So he, so he was carrying the torch, uh, for, for, I, for all those years, I think was well, because because he'd always talk about her, and I'd always rib him. He'd get I I didn't I'd push I'd push the bear a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now you guys eventually made amends, correct? Well, I didn't see Randy until he come into WCW. You know what I mean? And I didn't know he was there. He says, "Oh no, hello or nothing," right? And I'm thinking, "Well, hell, the last time I goddamn." 
saw you, I fucking spit in your face and tried to fight you because you fucking tried to fight. He, he fucking uh, attacked me in goddamn Louisville. And then the, and the funny thing is, is uh, he didn't beat me. You know what I mean? And it surprised the shit out of him. So then Ole booked him at the Omni. He said, you can't bring your brother or your dad with you either. You know what I mean? Hmm. So they put, I they put him with Magnum I, TA, didn't they? I, I'm just talking about okay, I going you. in the show. I got you. I went in the goddamn dress room, spit in his fucking face, and said, "You want to finish this right now, motherfucker?" And he, it looked like he lost twenty pounds from being worried and shit. You know what I mean? Mm. And 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 the thing about it was, there was nobody in the business I respected more than him. Yeah. He was like my goddamn. He was like my goddamn best friend. You know what I mean? Well, I respected him. Everything he said, I took this goddamn gospel. I looked up to fucking him. You know what I mean? It almost sounded like to and me it, when you were talking about him last time we talked that, it, and uh, I could be like, he was almost like your big brother. Yes, he was. I didn't have a big brother. See? And he was like my, I mean, here's this guy. He's a couple, he's a year and a half older and he's fucking, he, and he's the guy that got me talked into getting in physique contests. Yeah. You know yeah. I, mean? I remember that. I got ultra yeah, competitive talked, and you both got yeah. like in this phenomenal shape at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, uh, Harold, he was a guy that played pro baseball and shit. You know what I mean? And I did. And then when you'd see him do that goddamn booking and fucking do the editing, he did all that shit on his own. Right. And he was, and he ran that goddamn company with an iron fist. His dad was the figurehead and Lanny was just laid back. Lanny just wanted to hang out and leisurely train and, uh, and, uh, and wrestle every night. Right. And his dad was happy just to fucking have his kids where they could fucking go up and down the roads. And, but, but I, there was nobody in the business I loved more or respected more than fucking him. And he's the only guy that ever pushed my buttons to get me aggressive. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I'm a fucking Aquarian. Everything's cool. Don't flatter the fucking me. Everything's fucking great. I had every kind of friend as a, a, a poor guy, a rich guy, a fat guy, a skinny guy. Didn't give a shit. And everybody was cool. You know, but anyway, we got fucking rambling on that shit. I don't even know how we fucking got there. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, well, you know what? I pride a little bit to your personal in your personal business, but uh, I, 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 I hate to hear that because because I know how much he meant to you, and I, I'm I'm sure that probably hurt a little bit. Uh, that, that 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 especially over something like that. I was you know making a making a move on your on your on your woman and him taking that personally and. Uh, no, wait a minute. No, she, no, we got to remember, she wasn't my woman, but he just brought her in. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, and then I was just there. And she and took, oh, right, was, right, right. Okay. Yeah, and and he was wanting to smoke dope with her. And she, you know, I don't want to do that. And, you know, she goes, God, this guy's, you know, won't, won't leave me alone this shit. I said, well, well, come on over or whatever, right? And then uh, then all of a sudden, he'd, be, he'd become like an asshole or something, right? Uh, but anyway, that's fucking life, right? Yeah. And yep. then you die. And then, and then you fucking die. <laughs> well, you know what, man? You, you, 
you're 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 a hell of a guy as far as like remembering the good times, you know, and focusing on that part of it. And the ICW story, I just think, is just so fascinating uh, because the, there was nothing quite like it, and there and, and really, the, the obviously they'll never will be again. Uh, not, it's such a talented group of guys trying to pull off the impossible of of, of going into this established territory yeah. and trying to get a foothold. We, we had unbelievable. You got to remember. Yeah, we were going against fucking Jarrett. We were going against Bob Geigel. We were going against Dick Bruiser. We was going against Ron fucking Fuller. We was going against some of Barnett's shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. We was against everybody. Yeah. And we had to. We had great talent, and would beat each other up, and would do all that. But then we had the shitty TV with the shitty time slot because we weren't promoters. We were fucking novices and made every mistake there fucking was. It's just like concentrating on him challenging Lawler instead of us worrying about him against Garvin or him against Lanny, right? Yeah, I, and, yeah. And we yeah. And, and we wasted that. But then again, in every fucking business, Jerry Jarrett made all these mistakes when he started out, and you learn from it, right? Yeah. In any business, you you got to make mistakes, and you be, and that's what this book's about. That's mm-hmm. on sale at it, it, it's about making mistakes and learning from it. But I'm going to tell you the answer ahead of time. Okay, here's here's the secret recipe to Colonel Sanders. Here's the recipe to Mountain Dew. It's like today's wrestling. You can change it all you want, but you're going to go back to wanting Colonel Sanders and goddamn Mountain fucking Dew. And these are the secret ingredients that nobody wants to do, but that, here's what they are. But people don't fucking change. Yeah. Every fucking movie, you got a good guy, bad guy. You got to have a love interest in there. Or the fucking movie ain't gonna do that, <laughs> right? And that's just what <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I, I think I, just, I, I think of a Dutch Mantel quote because uh, he was talking about one of my least favorite wrestling personalities, uh, Vince Russo, and they were having uh-huh. a, they were having a bookie meeting. Which just the thought of going into a bookie meeting with Vince Russo makes me want to blow my head off. But uh, he he was, <laughs> he's looking at Dutch and and people have filed out of the ring. It's just him and Dutch, and he goes, Dutch, you know. Uh, I'm just having, I just, I just having trouble wrapping around my head, wrapping my head around this whole baby face heel thing. And Dutch goes, Oh, well, I'll tell you what, brother, that there, there's, there, there's a book you should read. He's like, Oh yeah. What's that? The Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh, now whether it happened exactly like that, I don't know, but, uh, it's your, I don't doubt it though. No one, no one, no one, uh, Russo, but, uh, man, oh man. Well, Hey Rip, uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, it is, it is available right now at amazon.com. And I was lucky enough. I have a Kindle subscription, so it's absolutely free, but it's also available in print. And if it's good for, I think, if you if you're this if you're an aspiring wrestler, if you're a current wrestler who thinks you know everything, you're going to find out that you truly don't. It's almost like a handbook for today's uh, wrestler. Or if you're a guy who's maybe you miss the glory days of the territory days, and you want to learn more about why it worked and why it's such a lost art and why most of us dislike the current WD product, this is a must read. The book on pro wrestling, Lessons from Rip Rogers. Welcome back to KFR. 
And I think you'll agree that this very special second annual Macho Merry Crispy edition of the KFR podcast certainly lived up to the billing. We want to thank our guest, John Keady, uh, who provided a very interesting perspective on Randy Savage and his debut in the former Federation after Jerry Lawler, frankly, kicked his macho ass and ran him out of town after years of dispute over who was the better grappler. And I also love the debate, you know, uh, was this angle, was the introduction of the Macho Man, was it diluted by bringing him in as the number seven AWA contender in Memphis, uh, which the rest of the territory did not see? Uh, You see the crazed angle that they shot the week after, which led to a cage rematch, which, again, only drew, I I think, just barely 5,000 fans. And then the week after that for a tag bout involving Savage and Lawler, less than 2,500 fans. I can't help but think if they had started strong with this invasion angle, it would have been off the chart success like it was in Lexington, like it was in Louisville. But Hey, it's easy to be an armchair booker. And who am I? Who am I to question the booking of Jerry Jarrett? Brian, anything you'd like to add? I'll question anyone's booking. I don't care. (laughs) I'm just teasing there. I have the utmost respect for Jerry Jarrett. And again, this is just having a little fun and saying, what if? You know, because this was the NWO before there was an NWO. And so much of this stuff was a shoot with these ICW guys. They're showing up at Jarrett's events. And so it would have been really cool if the entire ICW army uh, had made its way over to Jarrett to work an incredible uh, angle with not only Lawler, but Dundee, Uh, You know, he and Savage had the history. Uh, A lot of people have asked whether or not Dundee going to Mid-South had anything to do with Savage's arrival. Actually, no. Uh, By all accounts, I mean, the heat was was had mostly died down at that point. And when their paths finally did cross again in Memphis, it was kind of laughed off in the dressing room. Uh, And Dundee had no problem with Savage and, and vice versa. So it was all water under the bridge as it often is in the wrestling business. Just a reminder, you can follow me at Trav Scott Bowden on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kentucky Fried Rasslin. That's R-A-S-S-L-I-N. And if you'd like to support the show and pick up some wrestling merchandise that you won't find anywhere else. Please check us out over at MemphisWrestlingTees.com. We have, yes, because a lot of people have asked, our first few batches of transfers, iron-on transfers that are 40-plus years old on these really cool premium vintage-style tees sold out. Uh, We just got some more in, and they look fantastic. We're talking Terry Funk, Jack Briscoe, some more Ric Flairs, and even the high chief himself, Peter Maivia. So don't miss that. And uh, if you want to follow Brian, <laughs> for whatever reason, on Twitter, <laughs> you can find him at, at Great Brian Last. For Brian Last, this is Scott Bowden wishing you happy holidays. KFR is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Brian Last, this is Scott Bowden. See you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of Championship Wrestling.